This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. Tim Robbins gets away with it, the end of the erotic thriller, and Johnny Depp sucks. Blood, this week on 302010. Hello everyone and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a little journey 30, 20, and 10 years ago into the best of pop culture anniversaries. We're talking movies, TV, video games, music, and so very much more. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. How are you guys? Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, egregiously angry feminist. Yeah. <laughs> These movies distracted me a bit. Yeah. We have some really, really good movies this week. Yeah. And that helped. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I am I was superbly happy with one of the entries in this list, like just that I just, I'd seen but never thought of again. Oh, and I'm interrupting our, our third mic. And I'm J.R. Rawls, and thank you. For being a friend. Ah, uh, yes. I, I was having a discussion in a bar with people about the phenomenon we're experiencing, like the end of the 80s, and I didn't even include the stuff we have to talk about in this segment. Through the course of television, you're watching, like, the spirit of a decade literally change in front of your eyes. It's, I mean, I mean, it's weird how we define time for ourselves, but that's why I love this fucking show. So we look at the world 30, 20, and 10 years ago from a single week, this week being May 6th, and we'll be looking at what happened 30 years ago, 1992, 20 years ago, 2002, and 10 years ago, 2012. Cool! Thanks to our patrons once again, patreon.com slash laser time. JR and I are looking to record a listener feedback response for this show using uh, your information, your anecdotes uh, this week. Right, JR? Hopefully. Sure Schedule's thing. permitting. Yes. JR, you look almost recovered. I'm getting a lot better, yeah. For those uh, who don't know, I had neck surgery, and it's coming along nicely. Yes. I am off opioids now. Woo! It can happen. It can... <laughs> and I might get on them, because I, I shouldn't even say this on mic, because I said it to you guys off mic. A week after talking about K2 and JR's climbing experience, I wanted to take to a rock climbing gym, and my entire body feels like it's made of spike maces and hurts, and I was too <laughs> embarrassed to let my date know how ill-equipped I was to do this. I, <laughs> I don't exercise, and I'm like 400 billion pounds. It's just, it, but I want to do it again. Anyway, I'm a climber now. This is very strange. JR gave up last week, and I started. Uh, but let's get into 302010, May 6th through the 12th of three decades, starting as we always do in 1992. We like to be a show that avoids current events, but sometimes... Abortion is healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes uh we right. don't have to even pretend because like i I'd explain this how you explain this off mike diana we get a little bit of news for 1992 30 years ago what has happened there is a new amendment to the constitution and it is the most recent one we have not had a constitutional amendment for 30 years now so the legalization of same-sex marriage wasn't an amendment no yeah that was a supreme court decision okay Right, okay, so adding an amendment to the Constitution, we haven't done ever again in our lifetimes. <laughs> no. No, that's, that's correct. In yeah. 1992. This is the last one, and it's about uh, how Congress people can't vote themselves a pay raise. 
Huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that's such a huge part of the budget that it was very, very crucial. We get it. But yeah, yeah. This is basically every student's dream because this constitutional amendment started when a 19 year old sophomore at the University of Texas at Austin wrote a paper claiming that this amendment could still be ratified because there was no time limit set on it. He said, this was passed back in September 25th, 1789. It didn't get enough votes then, but the states that voted for it didn't put any time limit saying this expires. So if we just get the ball rolling, it will still be valid. Wow. And it was ruled that, yep, that's, that's the case. There's no time limit on uh, the amendment process. So, I mean, just picture this. I, I wrote a paper and it was a very good paper. <laughs> And the U.S. Constitution changed. <laughs> 202 years, almost 203 years. Wow. They just, yep, picked it back up and everyone went like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But 1789 means it's like in the first pack of amendments that they're talking about. Like, yeah, it's right up there with uh, free speech and press and guns and quartering soldiers, which wow. those are obviously the three most important things. <laughs> yeah. Some people. But in lieu of what we're dealing with right now, I don't know. Uh, never mind. I don't have anything fucking relevant yeah. or prescient to say I, uh, I guess the closest relevant thing is there's talk of does this apply to the equal rights amendment mm -hmm. can we get yes, a couple there's no reason things? it would not apply except for states which explicitly said there is a time limit on this and when the era was passing a number of states did put it so those states have had their passage revoked by the passage of time yeah but the states that didn't do it it's still valid yeah or the states <laughs> that revoked could go back and do it again if they want exactly 100 yeah. percent yeah, it'd be nice to Are... have something enshrined on the Constitution that says I'm a person. Oh, okay, so if you can, people, let's pretend uh, nothing's happening in our government that's worth caring about right now and go back into pop culture. Movies, 1992. May 6th through the 12th, Basic Instinct is still number one at the box office. Woo. And again, like, this week is kind of big on the erotic thrillers. And Sarah and I became obsessed with that last year. We did a laser time about whatever happened to these and you know some of the answers like internet porn and mostly the answer is is skinamax for the most part that but uh yeah it's interesting to talk about it in that context titillating films not that this is one of those the first no. one we have to mention big girls don't cry they get even i have never yeah. seen this but i remember seeing this all over the place yeah uh, it was advertised in the front of the teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 vhs tape yeah so if you watch that you saw an ad for this over and over and over again. Oh, just like uh -huh. that Pizza Hut ad in the beginning of the first Ninja Turtles. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a light family comedy. It's kind of like if Welcome to the Dollhouse was um, funny and not incredibly heartbreaking, yeah. like the whole time. Because it's about like this extended family of step parents and remarried parents and ex-wives and all their kids and like the, the one girl in the middle who played one of the older kids in the Home Alone, Home Alone 1 and 2. She just feels like she's sick of this and she's ignored and she's unhappy. And so she runs away and then the whole family like catches up with her. And is she the one who insane. says, Kevin, you're such a disease. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or is she the one who goes, you're what the French call les incompetents. I think I want to talk more about Home Alone in this movie. I'm not sure, but I, it turns out she is like a judo master and was at the Olympics. Hillary. Wow. Wolf, so. Yeah. I mean, she could have fucked Kevin up. I think we should be pretty <laughs> happy that she didn't. It's fine. And uh, also of minor notes, we have uh, James Gammon, Keith Carradine, Steve Buscemi, David Arnott, Arliss Howard, and Goldie Hawn, and Chris Cross. Not to be confused with Jump, which is all, uh, which is right now on Still the charts. 
Yeah. Still number one? Yeah, still number one. Goldie Hawn is like a single mom and her kid is like delivering papers trying to help out. And it turns out like he's actually working for the mob and there's drug dealers and Uh, they're threatening her. Yeah, yeah. So this is Goldie Hawn being a stripper to try to support her child. Uh, Her child having some problems with his mom being a stripper mm. and deciding to get into selling drugs because of that. And there's some uncomfortable scenes in this film with a very young boy going shirtless with cut off jeans, mm. gets into a van with no windows with two strange men to hey. sell those strange men cocaine. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's some uncomfortable moments, honestly. But uh, everything ends well. When I was young, I remember wanting to watch this because I heard, oh my gosh, Goldie Hawn is a stripper. I have to see that. Mm-hmm. And if young me had seen that, he would have been very disappointed. It's not that kind of titillation. It's a very somber film. You know, it's about the end of the 60s, literally set in the final summer of the 60s. And it's got that classic boomer end of an age melodramatic uh, going on thing and mm. you know i just i really feel like the boomers get so many films about their childhood and then yes. it's not that there's never any about my childhood yeah but it's just not even on the sc- same scale like not even a tenth of the number of the boomer childhood films out there yeah, I think I think this I think there would be because there's plenty of 80s, 90s nostalgia occurring in pop culture. There's just not the appetite for coming of age family melodramas anymore. Yeah, I think those just don't exist. Uh, the final thing I want to say about this movie is that we see Goldie Hawn doing a strip tease, and she is being tipped one dollar at the time. Wow! And by inflation, that is seven dollars and eighty three cents. So. <laughs> The tipping of strippers has gone down by about 85%. Holy shit. (laughs) Holy shit. And the the government takes a bite, too. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Well, what else are you going to do? You're going to throw quarters? That's mean. (laughs) If you lick them first. I don't know. I haven't (laughs) been to a lot of strip clubs. Well, speaking of uncomfortable underage moments of a movie, I I remember... Young boys were very titillated by this film. I was age appropriate to be watching this film and being aroused by it, but like, because it was a sexy film with young people, but like, I can't imagine this being made no again no. at all. What, what was the last highly sexual teen movie to come out recently? I can't think of yeah, a single I mean, one. maybe, uh, oh my God, what was the Chalamet movie uh, in Italy? Uh, oh, call Me, uh, by, call your me name. by Your Name. Yeah. But like that, that felt less lecherous than this movie is. And it, it is on purpose. Billy Zane, Leonardo DiCaprio, a Titanic reunion. <laughs> Gene uh, Sakata, Cheryl Ladd, Tom Skerritt, Sarah Gilbert, Drew Barrymore, and Poison Ivy. Like most 15 year olds, what Sylvie Cooper wanted more than anything else was a best friend. Everybody hates me. Oh, well, everybody hates me too. Do you want to come over? Someone to talk to. Wow, this is great. Someone to understand her. Oh, Ivy, this is my mom, Georgie. Till death. Someone like Ivy. It's nice and cool in here. Um, I miss my ride. No. Dad, she's my best friend. Okay, uh, uh, I'm getting getting uncomfortable all around just because of my complicity <laughs> with this film. Because yeah, if you were a kid with a 
you know, one premium channel late at night and no internet porn, you were always crossing your fingers a Poison Ivy movie would come on. And mm-hmm. uh, even though there are, there are several. Yes, it has another yeah. strange movie with four straight to video spinoffs. But like all of those movies, I remember seeing them, they contain far more titillation and nudity, but like the actresses are unmistakably of age, even though they're playing young. In this, these just look like kids. Well, it, Drew Barrymore 17 when yeah. it came out. And it's, it's, I think I, since I don't watch the Connors, this is the only time I've seen Sarah Gilbert in widescreen. I just don't, I cannot recall another movie with Sarah Gilbert. And I love, I love Darlene so much. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of fatal attraction for kids, even though (laughs) the titillation, like I I really, it is, it's an erotic thriller. Yeah. So Sarah Gilbert is, you know, an outcast because she's played by Sarah Gilbert Mm -hmm. and she wants a friend so bad and now drew barrymore is going to be like her fun friend and and they get so close and then drew barrymore starts seducing her dad and trying to replace her mom and saying we can all be a family together and oh sarah gilbert feels so betrayed by this and it's uh it's creepy and inappropriate like a lot yeah yeah and i don't I don't even remember it being controversial at the time. It was just, it was only talked about in my group of like fifth grade, pre, barely pubescent boys. Yeah. I mean, the word on it was pretty much Drew Barrymore's all grown up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, the little kid from E.T. Is a, is a sexy young lady now. And it's like, he's a sexy teenager. She still has so much baby fat on her. Come on. Yeah. It's, it's... She looks like a little kid still. I don't know if Drew Barrymore at this point in her career had the acting skills to play a sex pot. Mm. Like the performance in this, it it wasn't sold to me. I didn't necessarily believe her as this character. Maybe, mm. maybe or maybe you just didn't want. <laughs> this is a truly bizarre film, kind of an oddball relic. I just can't even imagine airing on television comfortably no. at this point. But it was everywhere. It felt like it was everywhere for a while due to late night HBO Cinemax airings, and uh, most people my age have seen it. And I have to imagine, and, and now is what we know about Sarah Gilbert. There's, you know, she's by nature throws out gay vibes, and there's, you know, an undercurrent of. Well, that, that's not subtext. That's yeah, yeah. text. She, yeah. she says at one point, I said I was a lesbian, but I guess I'm really not. And it's like, okay, you said that, but your actions say something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like whatever my gaydar is, I wouldn't have been picking up on that in the mid-90s. And now watching clips of it, I'm like, oh, fuck, this movie is so fucking weird. Uh- yeah. Well, yeah, and Drew Barrymore's character picks up on that, too, because mm-hmm. she tries to seduce her friend as well. Yeah. yeah. There, yeah. There, and it's it's, as you said, it's not just that she wants to fuck the dad. It's that she wants to become the mom yeah. who is right dying and spoiler she kills the mom the mom is dying at the age of 38 i assume her kid is 18 are we assuming these are 18 year old characters are we assuming they're 16 i thought 15 yeah 15 15? yeah trailer said 15 okay so the mother got pregnant at 23 Mm -hmm. and then died of of uh movie disease where you're just uh beautiful right till the end yeah the age of 38 so (laughs) and plenty of murder sex and intrigue 
I don't know what to do with this film. This is a film kind of for no one in 2022. Yeah. I think it's best to just sort of shrug your shoulders, say, man, we were weird back then and walk away. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was 12. I had nothing to do with it there. Uh, Our next film. Oh, boy. One of my favorite uh, departed actors, Jimmy Bridges, Earl Billings, uh, Jim Meltzer, Billy Bob Thornton, Michael Beach, Cinda Williams, and Bill Paxton, One False Move. After 10 years of busting people, Toms, and stop sign runners, I'd kind of like to take a crack at the big time. These are dangerous people we're dealing with. Get your hands up. Last night, some folks killed a Texas State Trooper. Looks like they're headed our way, boys. Yeah, I've never seen Dallas exciting before. It's waiting on the bad guys. We're a kid waiting for Christmas. But his first shot at the big time. I think he looks at y'all like you're some kind of heroes. Well, we're we're far from that. Might be his last. Oh, one false move. Hey, hey, here's something that, like, never used to happen Mm -hmm. this movie went direct to video but it played a couple festivals Mm -hmm. and the critics loved it so much they put it in theaters wow yeah gene siskel called this his favorite film of 1992 whoa yeah and i can see why it's a really powerful noir film Mm -hmm. and there weren't a lot of those being made in 1992 but this absolutely fits the bill i mean a lot of crime films you have these glamorous criminal masterminds doing their epic plans this is a bunch of scuzzy scummy drug addled sociopaths blundering from violence to murder to violence to murder Mm -hmm. uh, until they all end up dead and it's it's a powerful film uh i think bill paxton does an amazing performance as a small town good old boy sheriff who is definitely racist like that's not even for doubt um he uses the n-word in front of a black fbi agent so they definitely let you know pretty obviously where he's coming from in this film yeah but there's also some you know textures to that too because we find out he had a previous relationship with a black woman who was underage at the time right and who he abandoned his child with and initially does denies his child with and there's some colorism involved because that woman comes from a uh white father who also abandoned her and now that we're seeing this cycle uh, repeat itself. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this is, I think, big old trigger warning for violence on this mm-hmm. because this opens with this gang led by Billy Bob Thornton, who uh, who co-wrote this, by the way, yeah. who do a home invasion style drug robbery murder spree that is one of the most brutal scenes I have ever seen. I had no idea what this movie was when I started watching it. Yeah, which, and that's where uh, it starts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It starts off uh, an interesting take at drug dealers for 1992. Because if you think of a lot of drug dealers in 1992 movies, it's very one note. Don't feel mm-hmm. anything for these bad guys. They're basically stormtroopers. Don't feel bad for their deaths. This starts out with some drug dealers uh, interacting with a family-like nature. They're recording on their new VHS recording system. They're laughing. They're having fun. They're shown as real people before they get killed. Yeah, it's tough to watch. And then then the gang like steals a bunch of drugs and money and they go on the run. They're going to sell them off somewhere else and then hide out in this small town where Bill Paxton is the sheriff. And the feeling of like he thinks this is really cool that a big crime is coming his way is he does such a good job of just like the whole time you're like, oh, honey, no, because <laughs> we know how brutal these people are. You don't want them in your town. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, talk about timing, because this is a film very much about police officers and racism, and it's coming out, you know, the week after the L.A. riots. Yeah. Um, oh, so... that's, that's a good point. And it's directed by a black guy, Carl Franklin, yeah. who I want him to have had a better career. Like he's yeah. done, he did this and Devil in the Blue Dress is probably his most Fuck, famous yeah. Great movie, film. movie mm-hmm. which there should have been like 10 of those. Mm-hmm. Like that should have been a series. And it, then he's done a lot of prestige TV and he's a solid ass director. And I don't, I don't know what happened. Yeah. yeah. Eh, I don't know. Yeah. One False Move. Very high recommendation. It's one of those recommended. small indie movies that like you watch it and you're like, that was fucking great. Why haven't I heard of this? That's exactly go, my thought after watching everybody. it. Yep. I, I was like, why is this not well known? This should be up there I with think our next film. I remember it being talked about a lot, but like, you know, I'm a kid. And yeah, I think yeah. I think yeah. older people, this is an indie movie most of them are, were, were more aware of than our generation, just because we weren't ready to see something like this at our age. And you well, can stream yeah. it free on Pluto TV. And I wanted to mention streaming because I streamed the next film on HBO Max. And before I tell you what it is, I wanted to read the HBO Max description. A frustrated uh-huh. screenwriter menaces a studio executive who eventually kills the writer and gets away with murder. Like HBO. What? Come on. What? Come on, HBO Max. Three things wrong with that, though. Yeah. And it just, I, I can't imagine somebody creatively at HBO wrote that. I think that, is that how Altman wanted people to know what, the, anyway, yeah. from a legendary director, Robert Altman, look at this cast. Holy shit. And these We're, are just the headliners. These are the headliners. If we got into cameos, we'll be here all day. I think they said there are 65 cameos. Lyle Lovett, Sidney Pollock, Richard E. Grant, Dean Stockwell, Vincent D'Onofrio, Cynthia Stevenson, Brian James, Peter Gallagher, Whoopi Goldberg, the great Fred Ward, Greta Scacchi, I have not heard her name before, and Tim Robbins in The Player. The critics are calling The Player a masterpiece. It's going to be funny? Yeah, it'll be funny. Smart. We're going to have to have a little sex in this mystery. Oh, yeah, sure. We'll get it. Sophisticated. Are you seeing someone else? No. You took her to a party, Griffin, with several hundred of my best friends. Brilliant. It's out of Africa meets Pretty Woman. A delectable high comedy. This is Pasadena. We do not arrest the wrong person. That's L.A. Four stars. Yes. Robert Altman's The Player. Rated R. Holy shit. Oh, this is... One, I was really worried this would not hold up. Me too, dude. 290s. Dude, I, I saw this 30 movie. 30 years later, it would just not work anymore. And God damn, did it hit. I, I saw this movie, you know, as part of like my self-regulated classic film diets, not in the 90s. And I have a very small appetite for, isn't Hollywood nuts? Yeah. Uh, weird, am I yeah. right, guys? God, oh. what a crazy, wacky business. Um, I, I, I don't have a huge stomach for that. There's definitely some great movies in that setting. I'm not saying there's not. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is one of my favorite movies. But that's sort of how I remembered it. But now, first thing that struck me, this is such a wonderful snapshot of the entire medium of film in 1992 in a way like, you know, like an old Looney Tunes cartoon where a caricature of like Fred Astaire is hanging out with Humphrey Bogart. If cartoons called Hollywood steps out, I know what it's called. That's what this felt like. These is just like Altman got like every celebrity to make silent cameos. And you just see Jack Lemon sitting there saying nothing. Cher fucking Rod Steiger stuffing his face at a buffet. It's so crazy how many people pop up in this movie. And if you are a huge fan of film, that alone would be like, Jesus Christ, this is nuts. Yeah. And yet, if you don't know 
any of these people mm -hmm. and you don't give a living fuck about Hollywood, it's a good thriller. It's a great yeah. thriller. <laughs> and and this is like my favorite period. I love Tim Robbins so much during. Oh, he's having like the best year. Yeah. Uh, his wife shows up for a silent cameo. His wife shows up for a silent cameo. Makes his directorial debut in, in a couple months in a movie that is it's still applicable thirty years later about mm -hmm. politics. Yeah, I'm calling '92 the year of Tim Robbins. But it's it's both a glimpse of the slimy, weird, high stakes Hollywood film industry with a murder tacked on <laughs> as the HBO Max description spoiled for you. The executive played by uh, played by Tim Robbins. Uh, is being stalked by a screenwriter that he turned down, and he's just trying to figure out who it is. Which one of the, I hear fifty thousand pitches a year. Which who, who could this yeah. be? And he tracks down a guy he remembers being surly, thinks he knows who it is. They accidentally get in a fight, and he kills him. And then the real guy who threatened learns that, and all hell goes loose after that. But <laughs> as HBO spoils, he gets away with it in the end. Yes, and yeah. that's the amazing thing. You know, in Sunset Boulevard. The protagonist is the guy that Hollywood chews up and spits out. In this film, the protagonist is the guy who is doing the chewing and spitting because <laughs> our viewpoint character who is like, believe not our viewpoint character, one of the sympathetic characters who's all about, we should make this movie without stars and you're ruining it by putting this tacked on ending. She gets fired and is crying on the steps while he drives off, yeah. dissing her after dumping her for the girlfriend of the writer he killed. And yeah. he gets away with it all. It's, and yeah. the ending where the guy who is blackmailing basically calls up and says, I want to make a movie about the movie we are in right now. <laughs> and the deal is that if you buy the script from me, I guarantee you will get away with murder. And Tim Robin goes, it's a deal. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's there's there's all these arguments uh, of Harry what, uh, Dean Stockwell and uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, and Richard, Richard e. Grant, Grant talking about I want to make a real movie, not a tacked on feel good ending, but what real life is. And the movie in a happy portrayal gives you that real ending, which is the rich guy with the insatiable ego absolutely gets away with it. This <laughs> yeah. is how life yep. really works. And it makes it's just so clever. This movie but is what about, there, there's so what many about layers. The, what about the downer ending? What about how it tested in Pomona? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's so many great bits to this. You know, it starts out with a guy pitching the graduate two, and that's the actual writer it's of Buck the Henry. graduate. Yeah, and of course, Henry. since this film has been released, there was a quasi-sequel to The Graduate. Uh, the film Rumor Has It, starring yeah. Jennifer Aniston, which Came could be it. called The Graduate too. Yeah, but um, it's it's not about how uh, <laughs> Mrs. Robinson's had a stroke and lives in the attic and is stalking their <laughs> daughter. But it's funny. Funny, but with a stroke. possibly a haunted house. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, oh, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I could go on and on about just the opening. Yeah, oh yeah. Because it's, it's an almost eight-minute long tracking shot that shows us most of our main characters, what world they live in, plus... These pitches, a lot of which are improvised, like Buck yeah. Henry improvised, apparently, Graduate Part 2. Yeah, and, and it, it, it moves the cameras terrible. moving inside and outside. It is just like... It, it is literally shown in film schools for a reason. Yeah. The yeah. very first film class I ever took, I was oh. 14 years old, signed up for a community college film class, and this was the first thing they showed us, to try <laughs> to understand shots, like, oh, so it's not cutting away. Mm -hmm. Huh. But it's it's amazing. It took 15 takes to get it right. That's and it? 
That's it. Yeah. And they I used the tenth one apparently. Yeah. Wow. It, yeah, it's, I think it's 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 just not as many as you'd think. But it's also like people are kind of having fun and impro- improvising their dialogue. So like it didn't look it. I I hear it's not as pain because in film school they showed us Touch of Evil's opening, which you know was yep. a mm-hmm. fucking pain to shoot and had to have as like few lines as possible just to get it done. But just like that's the thing about this film, it is a wonderful snapshot of 1992, and it has a classic noir feel at the exact same time. It is there's delicious. a fax machine in a car that says you killed the wrong person. Yes, yes. <laughs> How do you get more 1992 noir than that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but, and so much of it, like, I remember that there's parts that are funny, but like darkly funny, like, Oh, that's so clever. But then I forgot. No, there's parts that are just plain funny. Like Whoopi Goldberg as the detective. She's great. And see that, She's that was so- another really interesting layer to me because Whoopi Goldberg isn't, playing Whoopi Goldberg. She's playing yeah. a fictional character who's a detective. So once that happened, I was like, well, is this person the famous actor I know them to be, or are they a character? And the movie doesn't really hold your hand on that front. It just expects you to figure things yeah. out. And then when they cut to her holding an Oscar going, wow, this sure is heavy. This is neat that I get to hold this. And you're like, that's probably hers. <laughs> and There's, apparently I've read articles... <laughs> on this of people who own Oscars and they say 99% of people hold it up and say, I'd like to thank the Academy when they see a real life Oscar. So I yeah. love that they included that little never touch. Not that I wouldn't do the same thing. Yeah. I never mean, had the opportunity. Yeah. Seeing them behind glass. That, that is about yeah. it. And, and my, the thing I just kept laughing at is the self-importance of everybody in the movie business and their slogan is movies now more than ever and you just see that slogan all over the movie it's so stupid uh this this was a fucking delight and i i really watched this whole thing attentively at a different age and i felt nothing i was completely blown away on this viewing it is there's not a 30 2010 recommendation i can give higher to the player yeah this is one of the best movies of 92 by far it might be one of the best movies of the 90s frankly I will give a little warning. It does have naturalistic dialogue. A lot of time movies have conversations that aren't like conversations are in real life because that's easier for people to follow. This has conversations going on all around. So you have to really pay attention to understand who's talking or is it relevant to the plot or not. Yeah, that's kind of a trademark of Altman, Robert Altman, the director, who... You know, I'm, I'm sure film scholars and buffs know who he is, but like he had kind of been languishing at this point. This in his was career. his comeback film, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. He was he not. It, he called it his fourth comeback because he keeps <laughs> doing well, and then then he does Popeye, and, and then, then he, he does, does something good, and then he does something else. Brewster McCloud, one of my favorites. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Mash, uh, and uh, you should know. Yeah. You should know who Altman is if you're a film fan because he has made like several unmissable movies. And I, I, this one kind of shot to the top for me, even over Popeye, which I love. Uh, I love. I, I, I thought this was fantastic. And I, uh, you're right, JR. I, when I watch Shortcuts, his follow up to this film, it's that dialogue aspect of people talking over one another to a point where I did not like it at all, despite the critical praise. But this, is, this was the perfect mix. God, I loved it. Uh, my final bit of trivia about this film is mm-hmm. the guy who makes the phone call at the end is credited as the same actor who was giving the eulogy at the writer Stevens' funeral. Oh, wow. So I'm going to, my headcanon is that they are the same guy, that the guy who threatened the very end of the film was giving the eulogy 
And that's how he knows that Tim Robbins was the killer. Yeah. Because he saw him at the funeral. And it would make sense because him and Vincent Onofrio's writer character probably had many a bitch sesh about mm. <laughs> Griffin's lack of taste. Man. Yeah. I, one thing, though, 30 years later, looking back, is that every single movie they're pitching always is like Bruce Willis or Julia Roberts. And mm. like looking at this, having done this show now and seeing Julia Roberts hit so big in 1990 with Pretty Woman, realize like, wow. They picked the right horse on that one of like yeah. who would we would understand as a film star 30 years later. Like, yes, she has had a 30 year career as opposed to, I, I don't know, someone else. I'm, you know, oh, we could get like a big star like uh, Bruce Willis or Samantha Mathis, someone who was like up and coming yeah, at the time, right. but didn't quite have that massive career that Julia Roberts did. Yeah, yeah I got to think Robert Altman just used like every last ounce of social credit he had to get every last and star just, to appear on this because yeah. if if the stars charged what they were worth to be in this film it would be the most expensive film of all time i 100%. only read julia roberts did it for free mm. did it for free and i just love that ending that, that ending. in That's... in in movie fake ending spoiler with bruce willis and Paul Dooley just walks by. <laughs> Susan Sarandon and Bruce Willis shoots a shotgun through a gas chamber to release Julie. It's fucking hilarious. It's so good. This movie is great. <laughs> Watch this movie. HBO Max. You've had it ruined for you. But that's yeah. that's I think that's part of the the beauty of it because I rem once I read the description I remembered what the ending was. So I wasn't bracing myself for something that I wasn't going to get. Anyway, sometimes there's certain yeah. movies that are, are better like that, that it's, it's going to throw you for a loop and you can just enjoy the journey. Watch the player, yeah. right? Absolutely. Man, 1992 TV this week, Death of the 80s, here we go, starting with a big one. A show I didn't watch at all because it seemed like silly why would a young boy watch a show with four retired women? But it I watched it because it was on. I, yeah, I, I, I watched it just because it, it was funny. It just wasn't on our household. And then in reruns, this show's fucking hilarious and holds up incredibly well. And I just didn't realize how much of a cultural footprint it made then and continues to. Golden Girls is over, over because of B. Arthur, <laughs> pretty much. Because they, I, I forgot there was a well, spinoff series the next year. Yeah, B. Arthur made the point that she, it wasn't. Despite internet rumors, it wasn't some horrible fight she had with Betty White. B. Arthur just thought that the series had reached its end point. They didn't have anything more to say, and she just wanted to quit. And so, you know, she had the money, so she was like, I'm done. And the others were like, well, we're going to try it without you with our spinoff, and no one remembers that spinoff. So maybe B. Arthur was right. Maybe they did have everything they already wanted to say said already. I mean, I think that was a huge mistake. Like, if they, if they kept the same title and time slot, The Golden Girls, season eight, people would yeah. have kept watching. I, I don't think mm -hmm. it hinged on uh... B. Arthur being on the show. Usually that's a contractual thing. The longer TV series oh. runs, the more money you have to pay to not just the actors, right. but the camera guys, the grips, the everything. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it makes sense for the network to say, this series is getting too expensive. We're going to end it and do a spinoff. Mm -hmm. This, this ha does happen, yes. But we got a clip. This is basically the show saying goodbye to its audience. Mm -hmm. Right. Listen. Dorothy, you don't have to say anything. Oh, I mean, what can you say about seven years of fights and laughter, secrets, cheesecake? Yeah. Just that uh, it's been very um, 
Well, it's been an experience that I'll always keep very close to my heart. And that these are memories that I'll wrap myself in when the world gets cold and I forget that there are people who are warm and loving and... We love you, too. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Cheering up. And that's, yeah, that's, it's, but it's that's exactly the ending. kind of a bomb that Golden Girls remains if you watch any episode in any order. It starts with thank you for being a friend when you feel alone and you forget your loved ones. It, uh, it, uh, everything about Golden Girls makes me happy, and I, I, I'm just barely dipped my toe in it. Well, it started with a brainstorming session at NBC mm-hmm. where they started with the premise of what if it does not suck to be a 50 plus year old woman in America. And that is what the show is about. It's a TV show starring 50 plus women. And since this show have has ended, can you name a single no. television well, show starring 50 plus women? Hot in Cleveland was kind of an attempt at that, but that was like with yeah. a golden girl. I don't know. I've and I, I don't think, I don't know that they were all over 50 either. Uh, Grace and Frankie, but that's Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's what, when we, a few years ago, we were looking at the ratings. This dominated the ratings. This kicked the shit yeah. out of everything. So it wasn't, I always thought this was just a show for old women. And it, it was shock, shocking to me doing the show how popular this was with everybody. I, I get the fandom now. Like there there were action figures for Golden Girls in Walmart yesterday. It's it's insane <laughs> to think about that this. Well, uh, the, the people who own the Golden Girls say that their fastest rising demographic is people under the age of 25. Yeah. Which is just a wow. I mean, maybe it's starting from a low place, but still, it's really amazing that it has had the cultural legacy it did covering a topic that does not get much cultural exposure. Yeah. I mean, we we talked last week about how unusual it was that the Cosby show, a show about African-Americans, was so incredibly popular across the demographics, and it's... I think very amazing that a show about elderly people was popular across demographics as well. Yeah, I, I, um, I did. I was doing some research when I was doing some uh, kind of documentary-based stuff for DuckTales, and just that, like Scrooge McDuck is other than like Carl from Up is like one of the very few like leading elderly fictional characters that exists at all. And like, we just don't have that many. Yeah. Uh, mm. lead Blanche elder- is a synonym for sex. <laughs> you know, <laughs> think how unusual yeah. that is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this show had the guts to have a 50 plus woman be a sex symbol. That's not something you really see. And it, it came out. I, I do wonder if there was something in the eighties that was just allowing demographics to be cross popular with such a widespread yeah yeah i i don't know i mean some of it is just just quality i mean Mm -hmm. they had some fantastic writers and the cast is just made of ringers that helps yeah uh, i believe mark cherry the creator desperate housewives got to start there and as did mitch hurwitz creative arrested development yep cut his teeth on golden girls just feels crazy to think about yeah Yeah. they just they they had and it's you think oh it's for old ladies but it's like but everyone's got a grandma or a weird old neighbor or my grandma loved this show i can tell you that and i i liked it watching growing up and again so much sex in this show yeah far more sex than i see in shows today and that's 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 just another cultural change that I think is worth pointing out. The casting was really amazing. Betty White 
was originally going to be Blanche, which yeah. I can't see. Well, and Rue was well, going to be Rose, which go, is just... Go watch some old Mary Tyler Moore. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because Betty White's character on, Medi- on Mary Tyler Moore show is a lot more like Blanche. And it kind and, of blows your mind when you're so used to, you know, St. Olaf stories. And you watch it's just like, <laughs> she is just hitting on everyone. Oh, my God. Well, check that out. That sounds really cool. Oh, but the other so good. weird thing is Estelle Getty was a year younger than B. Arthur at the time of casting. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was 62 playing an 82-year-old, which <laughs> that's that's some range there. Yeah. And, and uh, I, this is the first time I've talked publicly about Golden Girls since we had no Golden Girls. And that's just a note I wanted to make yeah. that I was surprised how long these people kept up in popular culture. I mean, 99, that's that's a good run. Yeah. That's all I said this before, but I'll say it again. Try to live your life so that when you reach 99 and pass away, people say that was too soon. And it it spawned so many international versions. I'm really? going to read them as quickly as I can. Chile, Las Eros Doritos. Egypt, Extra Sugar. Israel, Bunyat Hajava. Greece, Koritsa, Netherland, Golden Girls, the Philippines, 50 Karatas Odiba, Russia, Bolshia Davaski, Spain, Juanos Pueros Non Wefers, Portugal, Queros E Madros, Turkey, Alton Kizar, and the United Kingdom, Brighton Bells. Again, a, an insane legacy. And I'm sure someone's tried to recapture the formula and it just didn't work for some reason. But it just it does seem bizarre we don't have a lot like this. But Grace and Frankie is probably a good example because I didn't realize how long that had been on because I only watched yeah. the first season. Oh, uh, it's it, kept, it keeps getting better. That show is fantastic. I'm holding on to the last two episodes like I don't want it to end. <laughs> there, there's also a U.S. tour of that Golden Girls show, A Puppet Final Farewell, oh, which it, is a it, puppet it, version of the Golden Ver- Girls that in, is going in, around in America. In San Francisco, there were full drag versions all oh, the time yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. of, of episodes of Golden Girls in the Castro yeah. Theater. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Golden Girls uh, runs on Logo every day. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's like the gays appreciate it. And the, I guess, sadly, we got to move on from Golden Girls because there's still a lot to talk about. <laughs> to the- a show I... <laughs> I remember this show, and even as a kid, being like, "That's the title." The, one of the I, biggest laughs I ever no, had as as a kid was just a promo for this up next on whatever I was watching, and like that cannot be the name of a show. I only know this title from David Letterman punchlines. Yeah, I never watched the show as a young kid, but as a child, I remember it being in David Letterman's top ten list all the time. Like, uh, and the worst thing is. I only get to meet the fat man, never Jake. <laughs> yeah, I, I still intentionally don't want to know anything about the show. Not even a little. It, the the yeah. title is too silly. Do you just imagine it as the American dad version, Wheels in the Leg Man? <laughs> Jake and the Fat Man. Yeah, starring William Conrad, who had done TV detective stuff for many, many, many years back on uh, Canon and stuff. And it's about two detectives. And one of them is just, he's, he's a big guy. <laughs> what do you think it, what do you think it was like when he got cast in the show who am i playing <laughs> damn it i was trying out for jake why'd they cast me as the other guy jake? nervous silence <laughs> yeah but but a bunch of it filmed in hawaii so i mean he won yeah <laughs> like, oh you can call me fat man every week all right sipping my mai tai yeah, it's but... probably not the best environment for a man of his size he'd be Ooh. appreciated 
Oh, were worshipped? Come on, they weren't that primitive. Yeah. Jake of the Fat Men is over, as is Sibs, a sitcom I don't know anything about or care. Yeah, it's it, the premise is simple. Ongoing relationship among three sisters. It was produced by James L. Brooks and Sam Simon, oh. but not on Fox. And it failed. But Dan Castellaneta was on it. Oh, and shit. it failed. The Royal Family also ends. Another show with not much of a legacy. This right. is the Red Fox Della Reese comedy. Yes. And then Red Fox died. Yes. Yeah. And it, it's a myth that he was Urban clutching legend. his heart like in his old sitcom. But he did have a heart attack yes. on set. And, and I, the, the, the crew did not laugh because they thought he was... That's just a long-standing urban legend that they let him die because they thought he was doing his old bit. After his death, it was placed on hiatus. Writers tried to rework the series. didn't really rework very well, and they were just like, okay, it's canceled. Yeah, yeah it's, that's too bad. And, uh, you know what I'm kind of fascinated by hmm. is our next one, but I'm sorry. Do you have more to talk about Royal uh, Family? Just that two of the final episodes were not shown for 27 years until no. the TV focused multicast network decades aired them in 2019 oh wow yeah it's a long ass time uh yeah so the next thing aired as a tv movie in the u.s and it aired like two years before in the uk wow and it launched two actors pretty fucking hardcore and i had never heard of it me neither is this a, yep. a dangerous man lawrence after arabia with refines and alexander Sittig? Or Siddiq yeah. Al-Fadil? He's, he's billed as Siddiq Al-Fadil, but based on this, Alexander Siddiq got the uh, Dr. Bashir on Deep Space Nine, and Ray Fiennes got Schindler's List. This is his film debut for Ray wow. Fickin' yeah. Fans playing T.E. Lawrence in a sequel to Lawrence of Arabia about them going to the peace conference at the end of World War One, And it is less than half the length of Lawrence of Arabia. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, Lawrence of Arabia is a classic war film about the spectacle of war in an exotic locale. Yeah. This is about shuffling papers and negotiating in a boardroom about a peace deal. There's very, very few films out there about the peace process, you know, War has a degree of inherent drama to it that negotiation does not. And that's what this film tries to get at. It presents Faisal, who will eventually become king of Iraq, as a guy who's honestly more comfortable with subterfuge and lies than T. Lawrence's, which makes perfect sense. King Faisal was engaged in a revolution against the Ottoman Empire, and he was dealing with factions which collapsed and formed and making promises left and right. And the idea of, oh my stars, you mean the imperialist may not have been in completely honest with me? Oh, give me my smelling salts. Oh, He's my. very understandable about that. And it's basically like, yeah, I'm going to get whatever I can get. And T. Lawrence is shown to be the kind of naive guy who's like, we must do what's right. And yeah. And hmm. in the end, Faisal becomes king of Iraq, and T. Lawrence has a uh, unremarkable career until he dies in a motorcycle accident. Yep. And the entire Middle East is fucked forever because of this peace process. Yeah. Where they just carve it up kind of at random. And and that's where we literally have every problem we have now. Once upon a time, it was just sort of all Ottoman Turkish lands, and they could not split groups up and have them fight against each other. Oh, the Ottomans did that a lot. Yeah, well, they were they were imperialists yeah. themselves. Well, yeah, they were imperialists. Yeah, take shit over. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and usually that means playing factions against each other, but not necessarily. Yep. We're going to carve up this land so it's one third Kurd and one third Sunni and one third Shiite. And I guess you guys can just fight it out. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so moving yeah, on to. But, so it's available for rental. And I'm, I didn't uh, get around to checking it out. And I kind of do. When I want to see Bebe Ref fans. You're not, you're not offended it's by a sequel? on YouTube. <laughs> you're not offended by a sequel to Lawrence of Arabia? Not it's really. years after the fact with none of the ori original players? No. No? Well, I mean... I mean, Lawrence much, is a much, real character. Yeah, he's I a real... Guy. How, how much brown face are we talking, though? I'm guessing Faisal's <laughs> not played by Alec Guinness, so... Yeah. Yeah. On uh, things I did watch a lot, The Simpsons <laughs> airs the episode Bart's Friend Falls in Love. Where he meets so this Samantha episode... Stank starts with an Indiana Jones parent it's parody so and right, with right, right. the release of the young Indiana Jones Chronicles little JR is at the height mm. of his indie fandom he is searching <laughs> indie novels indie comic books in the video games which we'll talk about later in this year yes what I did at the time is I got a tape and I was like huh. I remember that Indiana Jones parody on The Simpsons. I'm going to wait for it to air wow, and record it. And then I'm going to add every other Indiana Jones parody or Indiana Jones things I see in any other TV show. I had that tape for seven years, and I think I got one other addition. <laughs> so, you know, that's what it was like trying to find yeah. things in the pre-YouTube world. Yeah, it was, it was like, tough. You can be super into it, and you can't get it no matter what. Mm-hmm. I I definitely remember being there. Uh, it just uh, specifically mine was a Tiny Toons They Might Be Giants music video episode. Like I just want this on tape so I can watch Istanbul with Plucky Duck and every <laughs> every day having a VHS ready cuz I couldn't all I could do is revisit it in my mind. <laughs> old times, but uh Simpsons similarly like I don't know if this uh, The Simpsons has been trading in blatant parody in their openings for a while now but like a lot of it was like hitchcocky and it's sort of going over my head this is the one i remember like reading loud and clear this was so funny to me and and remains that just homer at the end holding the rake at the bus driving away it's just so great but it also has uh samantha stanky a woman i uh, uh played by oh what's her name kimmy robertson guest stars mm -hmm. I had never seen her before. And then I was just shocked watching Twin Peaks and like, that's Samantha Stanky. Holy shit. That is an unmistakable voice. Yeah. Uh, Millhouse falls in love. Bart gets jealous. And uh, it is an excuse for the kids to be exposed to. Here's something that dates us, uh, our generation. Old educational <laughs> film strips. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Kids don't need those anymore. Probably don't even deal with film strips at all. Well, no, we have to. No. Are you talking film strips where it's like a slideshow and there's a cassette? Or, and it's a beep, and then you have to advance slideshow, or well, when they would rumble in the 16 millimeter projector. Yeah, like that. Maybe oh. the, the educational short that, you know, Pee Wee's Playhouse used to run, but the. Uh, Phil Hartman narrating as, as Troy McClure narrating Fuzzy Bunny's guide. <laughs> you know what? Hello, I'm actor Troy McClure. You kids might remember me from such educational films as Lead Paint, Delicious but Deadly, and Here Comes the Metric System. I'm here to provide the Still facts funny. about sex in a frank and straightforward manner. And now here's Fuzzy Bunny's guide to you know what. This is Fuzzy Bunny. About a year ago, he noticed his voice was changing. I he had terrible acne and had fur where there was no fur before. <laughs> I don't want to play the whole thing, but... Uh, you, you didn't get to the point where he says throbbing biological uh, urges. All right, all right. Fluffy Bunny. Boring. Fluffy and Fuzzy went to the park. 
the ice cream social, the boat show, and various other wholesome activities. And they never ruin their fun by giving in to their throbbing biological urges. This, this, I just, it ends on the darkest joke. I have to hear it. Day. Fluffy and Fuzzy got married. That night came the honeymoon. She's faking it. The most satisfying part of the night was knowing the that they joke. waited. Nine months later, Fluffy gave birth to 14 beautiful bunnies. Eight survived. <laughs> hey. Okay, again, I gotta ask. Could the Simpsons reference sex this much in a 2022 episode maybe i mean there's plenty of i feel like this was kind of pushing it for 92 probably yeah but that's i mean fox was really big into that and the simpsons kind of had i think they signed some sort of deal where like you know we're not breaking fc fcc regulations you can't tell us what to do we're gonna air this there's also a subplot in this episode where homer is battling with obesity Mm-hmm. And I Googled it, and no country on the planet has lowered its obesity rate in the time since this episode has aired. Whoops, mm. days. You, you know, I it never occurred to me until just now, a holdover from being a 90s kid, a, a gag that still plays in 2022 is the funky 70s yes. music to indicate porn. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the whole thing was 70s, by the way, like very 70s yeah. themed. And you might miss that if you're, you know, weren't living in this during this era. Yeah, uh, but it's like porn doesn't have that kind of music now. But that's what we associated with because all our porn is from the 70s because that was like the height of porn. Mm-hmm. So in the 90s. So, yeah, bow, chicka, bow, bow, we yeah. all know what that means. Yeah. And since most porn uh, for people of our generation had to be discovered, traded, dug up, uh, we were... Getting a lot of 70s hand-me-downs, so it's not like I didn't see porn with that soundtrack. And then lastly for TV this week, a huge thing. This is almost like a secret handshake I have with other SNL fans. If you know what I I mean when I say Brock Toon, you have seen the Saturday Night Live hosted by Tom Hanks, uh, where he plays the, the, the chairman of the Mr. Belvedere fan club. Yeah. Okay, so let's keep going. Come on. I should like watching Mr. Belvedere a lot. But I shouldn't have to masturbate at the end of every episode. <laughs> That's right. That is right. Discipline. Next. Uh, yeah. I should want to cook Brock Toon a simple dinner if he truly accepts the offer, but not if I sense that he accepts it telepathically. <laughs> yes, okay, but let, let's keep the exercises in the form of should and shouldn't, okay? <laughs> it's such a stupid <laughs> sketch that is so memorable. Uh, but then there's the great Phil Hartman line where he says, but to eat the flesh, to consume the flesh, to become the flesh in an amazingly creepy way that makes me wish Phil Hartman had played like a serial killer in some Oh man, especially, he has two moments in television history this week. On a note that you may not care about, I know I don't, I somewhere read, this is, Bruce Springsteen is the musical guest on SNL, and this is his first ever live performance on television. Oh, How is that possible? Right. I don't really know. Maybe everything he did was pre-taped. And, I, uh, I don't yeah. know. 
Um, uh, there, there's also a utterly tasteless but funny fake commercial in this episode of a car dealership trying to sell cars during the L.A. riots. The mayor says to stop going crazy, but I say let the craziness continues with these sales. Check out this 1991 Civic still on fire. <laughs> Yours for only $25. Just Man. come pick it up. I don't. I, I had. I had this episode on a bought VHS. A per, and I don't think they included that. And uh, let's move into games real fast because oh man, we've gone long this segment. Super Battle Tank for a Super Nintendo. Uh, there's a bunch of Super Nintendo this week. Romance of the Three Blow Kingdoms. Up as two. many tanks as you can. Mm-hmm. Limp to base. Repeat. Repeat. Very arcadeish. Super Soccer, like soccer, but super. A very delayed Rocketeer for <laughs> Super what the Nintendo. Hell? Okay, so this is uh, the difference in video games back then. There was such a huge delay that you had no idea if a movie was going to bomb or be a success Mm -hmm. and you could have your game come out years after it was just forgotten and no one uh, cares about this and this is a horrible game (laughs) call me crazy but wouldn't the big draw of playing the rocketeer be i don't know flying in your rocket jackpack but you don't do that in this game. You start out flying circles in a plane race in the shortest plane race in history. It's like about three football fields, and you have to keep going around in circles. The and then if you pass that, you play a horrible light shooting game, and then you don't go to the rocket. You go back to the crappy airplane race again, Aww. and then another shooting light game. And then finally, as your reward, you get to play a shmup with the Rocketeer, which sucks. <laughs> and uh, lastly, Jack Nicholas Golf. Uh, uh, why are there so many golf games? I, I do yeah. want to give a brief shout out to Romance of the Three Kingdoms 2 on SNES, which came out. It's a Koei game, which mm-hmm. have their own very specific niche. It's very, very rare that the SNES got strategy games, but me and my best friend at the time rented this and poured over the largest instruction booklet I have ever seen for an <laughs> SNES game. Because this is this is trying to teach you an in-depth computer game on one of those little tiny little pamphlets. And we worked our asses to try to figure it out and we were not smart enough. And I don't think we ever rented a strategy game again. And this was back <laughs> when it was hard to get new video games. So video games were rare, precious things. And we couldn't get past it. <laughs> Into music as we close out 1992. Jump by Criss Cross is still number one. Hey, look at that. Eurovision Song Contest. Ireland with Linda Martin's Why Me? Yep, this wins. And this is, I think the 90s is the stretch where Ireland won like all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what led to the Father Ted episode about them trying to throw it. Because if you win, you host next year and it costs a bunch of money. Wow. So... That's why the best Father Ted episode is about them trying to pick the worst song called My Lovely Horse. So they know they'll lose. They don't have to host them anymore. Here's a little snippet of it. And sometimes when I turn around and you're there left today, and I want to say, why me? I was very disappointed by how boring this song is. Sorry, I missed the book recommendation. So also this month, it's hard to get exact dates, came Small Gods, the 13th Discworld book by Terry Pratchett. Mm-hmm. This is considered one of the best. It's about a god who loses all his power because everyone in his highly religious community fakes 
their belief. They don't actually <laughs> believe in their God. They just follow along because they don't want the Inquisition to kill them. And in this universe, gods get their power through their belief. And so he, the God, ends up as a small turtle. And there are a number of great lines that have stuck through the Discworld series that comes in this book. The turtle moves, the great um. It's it's really a powerful book, which I can't recommend highly enough. All right. New music releases from May 6th to the 12th include Entry in Mimundo by Selena, Fear of the Dark by Iron Maiden, a Henry's Dream by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, The Southern Harmony and Musical Companion by The Black Crows, Rites of Passage by Indigo Girls, and uh, that is it. We will close out with Remedy by The Black Crows, but stay right there. we got a lot to talk about in 2002. Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 302010. Coming into 2002 with Half Crazy by Music Soul Child off of Just Listen, with no T, Just Listen. Welcome to 2002, May 6th to the 12th. Also, have some other mu- new music releases. Would you like to hear them? Too bad! I'm going to tell you. Uh, 40 Years by the Dublin Bl- Dubliners is out. We had two albums by Tom Waits, Alice and Blood Money. Bug by Dave Davies, uh, his first solo album in 20 years. Dark Days by Cold Chamber, Leaving Through the Window by uh, Something Corporate, My Rides Here by Warren Sivan, it's a great album title, Open Your Eyes by Goldfinger, and MTV's Unplugged Lauren Hill 2.0. What does that mean? Did you have two unplugged albums? Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Foolish by Ashanti is still number one in 2002. 2002, a little bit of news to show you how far we have and haven't come. Elon Musk found SpaceX 20 years ago. I don't remember hearing about this until like four years ago. Because it was a string of failure after failure. Mm. SpaceX was known for its rockets blowing up on launch. That's what it was most famous for. The thing is, they were learning. 
they kept learning, they kept improving, and it's utterly possible that the only person alive today who will be a household name 500 years from now is Elon Musk. No! Yeah, it's possible. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Mm. Can either of you name a person alive in 1492? Nope. Uh... Uh um, people connected to the Columbus story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Queen is right. Oh, you can't name them. the Nina the Santa Maria Pinta. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. But SpaceX has caused a amazing drop in how much it costs to get something into outer space. We're talking about a ninety-seven percent reduction in cost, which is incredible. NASA has been doing something called the NASA Space Launch System. It started in two thousand five. It's cost about $50 billion so far, and it's looking about to cost $2 billion per launch. The SpaceX Starship project began in 2018. It's taken about a billion, and it's looking at around $2 million per launch. Whoa. This is really a big deal. It's, it's one of those things where it's going to really change things on, like, if you can get space to be that cheap, then it opens up so many things that are just flat out not feasible without it being that cheap, including long-term humans on Mars. And if that happens, no guarantee it will. It could certainly fail. SpaceX could plummet and not work, but they've had an amazing run of successes. And if they do land people on Mars, yeah, Elon Musk will be remembered for a millennium for that. Wow, that, yep. it's just been weeks since I've heard anybody talk about Elon Musk positively. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can add some negative to it. Sure. He's not an inventor. He is a funder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not creating these things. He's just deciding where to put his billions of dollars. Yeah, humble son of a billionaire diamond miner. Uh, <laughs> right. When, yeah, when people he... talk about, oh, he invented Tesla. No, he no. bought Tesla yeah. from when... the guys who invented it. <laughs> When he bought SpaceX, his net worth was around $180 million. Mm. And he was willing to invest in a company that did not look like it was going to do anything. And he was able to turn it into a literal huge uh, force in the world. Mm. Uh, One of the huge reasons Ukraine is is doing as well as it is right now is his Starlink system. He's giving them real-time intel that the Russians don't have. And that's solely due to SpaceX. Okay. All right. Yeah. So it's interesting to think about uh, positive momentum in the space movement 20 years ago. Also in the news this week, former U.S. President Jimmy Carter arrives in Cuba for a five-day visit with Fidel Castro, becoming the first president of the United States in or out of office to visit the island since Castro's 1959 revolution. Yep. Yep. It was a big deal at the time. The State Department was allowing people to go if they got permission from the State Department first, saying this is for educational purposes or this is for diplomatic reasons, but this is the first time that we have a president going. So, yeah. Um, and and then a little bit of news that, personal to me, this week, bootlegs of Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones are hitting the internet right now. I don't remember being able to find it because it was still, file sharing was kind of in its infancy. It's just interesting to think about. There was a leaker inside Star Wars for Episode Two that was caught highly fined and prosecuted in kind of like the first case of its kind because we're still at a point where not all films are digitized the moment like before they're released in theaters you have to at least wait to go to dvd because it's too fucking all you can get is a cam version of a movie theater screen but due to the nature of how episode two was 
being made, a copy was able to get out. And a lot of people saw it. And that dude was like the full force of the legal system came at him due to Lucasfilm. It almost seemed cruel by how like, <laughs> like $200,000 bail for, <laughs> for leaking a Star Wars movie. But uh, yeah, like this is, this is the dawn of new movies destined for theaters being leaked online that had not happened before. Speaking of movies, welcome to 2002 Movies, May 6th through the 12th. Dog Soldiers is out with Sean Pertwee, Kevin McKidd, Emma Cleesby, and Liam Cummingham. I don't know anything about that movie. Oh, it's a good one. Is I it? think you'd like it, actually. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of aliens, but it's werewolves. Oh, shit. Love yeah. werewolves. Set in Scotland. Yeah. Where it's, it, you know, they're out in the middle of nowhere in Scotland, and this, like, special forces group are going to train, and they get attacked by a whole squad of fucking werewolves. I was going to say bad name, but, oh, now it kind of makes sense. All now right. it makes sense. Yeah. 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 It's... It, I, I admit I did not rewatch it for this because mm-hmm. um, I'm a big old sissy and I'm not great with horror movies. But I remember this being funnier than you would expect from a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's fun and it's interesting, but it's also like scary and gross. And yeah, it, it's one of those that's like it has a really good reputation with horror fans and not as many people have heard of it because it's kind of a small movie. But yeah, Dog Soldiers. Yeah, it's starting. It starts off with the urban legend that special forces have to kill a dog to pass their exam. I had an ROTC friend in college who started telling a girl that in his training they had to kill dogs. And I started to say how that wasn't true. It was a total urban legend. And he was just pulling her leg and I was clueless and ruined his joke. Man, sorry. Uh, also out this week uh, in the shadow of Spider Man, uh, Jared Mixon, Lyle, uh, Lyle Love It Again, uh, Zoe yeah. Deschanel, Eddie Griffin, uh, Elijah Dushku, and DJ Qualls in The New Guy, a, a comedy. I, I just don't hate DJ Qualls. I think he's. No, <laughs> I like him and I like Eddie Griffin. Yeah. But no, I admit I didn't even get around to watching it. I know uh, it's got a terrible reputation. Yes. Yeah, I mm. think that's it's deserved. A, it's, I, you know, I read a, the description. It's a horny, gross-out comedy. Yes. You know, we're still getting a bunch of those after American Pie. So, mm-hmm. but, I but, read uh, the description of a high school nerd tries to reinvent himself as a guy with no past as being a new guy. Mm-hmm. And that sounded interesting to me mm-hmm. because I recall, you know, I'm shocking to our listeners. I was a nerd when I was young. And uh, when I went to camp, I was like, well, I'm going somewhere. No one knows me. Uh, I can totally be the cool guy now. Never happened. Never, <laughs> ever, ever worked. Whatever there was about young me uh, shine brightly and true. So I thought that could be an interesting concept. So I gave this movie a shot. Five minutes, I am grabbing the remote and turning it off <laughs> as soon as I can. Because it's just garbage. On, on that note... We have our uh, big movie of the week for 2002 in a, in a genre I have advocated over and over again on many of our shows, the, the erotic thriller. Yet I watched it and like a child waiting for their parents at a bank, I was so bored and like kicking my feet like, holy shit, something happened here. Oh my God. I, maybe I was in a bad mood, but it was just like too, almost too mature for 42-year-old <laughs> Christopher, <laughs> Michelle Monaghan, Mira Lucrice, uh, Taylor, Eric Persutherin, Oliver Martinez, Richard Gere, Diane Lane, the last, basically the last erotic thriller, Unfaithful. An encounter. How should I? Or was it fate? You know, the usual stuff. An obsession. Your eyes are amazing, you know that? Or was it a game? I think this is there's no such thing as a mistake an accident stay away from her or was it a crime 
no matter what, someone gets hurt. This summer, he's been reported missing. You decide. Unfaithful, rated R. Unfaithful, sexy, mm-hmm. sexy, uh, unfaithful. Sort yeah, of. I yeah, I feel like it is pretty fair to call this sort of the last of the erotic thrillers. Mm-hmm. In it, this this the style of sort of the late eighties, early nineties that we had by the and the basically by the, the guy by the guy i learned through a friend dan Ambrick, adrian line not adrian lynn i've been mispronouncing his name the not necessarily the creator but like the on the mount rushmore of erotic thriller because he made uh, nine and a half weeks and a decent proposal fatal attraction proposal and he hasn't made a movie since this and has one coming out finally this year it's out right oh, now. Is it? it came out a month ago on Hulu. It was supposed to go to theaters and they changed their minds. So I watched Deep Water to go along with did Unfaithful. You? I did. Yeah, it's it's on Hulu. Okay. It is a very good companion to Unfaithful. They they feel very, very similar in that they're both about a you know, a relationship that seems okay, but then she be cheating mm-hmm. and the man has to deal with his jealousy and it comes out in strange ways yeah deep is a very strange film um unfaithful at least is, is pretty straightforward but there's it, some it, really weird psychological stuff going on in deep water but i i enjoyed it because yeah like i said they, they it's the like Venn the, diagram of these two movies there's a huge overlap yeah like the the genre this guy refined wasn't in demand for 20 years and just so happened to have a movie released almost 20 years to the day of his last film. Like, just that's just yeah. so weird because his bio is pretty sparse in between their two. There's like one screenwriting credit, but this dude had made millions at the box office. It's just bizarre. Someone just drops off like that. They just decide, meh, meh. And then to decide to come back, like, oh yeah, I want to make a movie about Ben Affleck being cucked repeatedly in front of all his friends. And how does he deal with this? Yeah, but Unfaithful, I remember the reviews being really strong. Mm-hmm. And then I went back and looked at them and like, they're not great except for Diane Lane. Yes. I feel like this kind of put Diane Lane back on the map, even though she'd been working since the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like this is a powerful performance of someone who's very complicated and conflicted about what she's doing because she's in, you know, a pretty good marriage with Richard Gere. They're kind mm-hmm. of boring, but, you know, it seems okay. And then, you know, this dude comes along and they start having this steamy affair and she's like what am i doing why am i doing this oh god i can't stop myself and then her husband finds out and then things get bad yeah and yeah like murder yeah i find it it like as as a thriller like the back half is the thriller part and Mm -hmm. that part's pretty good because like you kind of want him to get caught but you kind of don't but yeah, mostly it's just Diane Lane just fucking goes for it in this. She's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she won a couple of awards for a performance in a film that was not even nominated in any other award field. And, and 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 even more surprisingly, this is pretty successful. I don't know how this cost fifty million dollars in in mm. two thousand two money. Stars. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that has to be it. Like the the half of that, I guess, would have to be Richard Gere. Because he is the only star in the movie. Otherwise, there's like there's you're not looking at any fucking effects here. That that that, that wind sequence in the beginning was so silly. <laughs> I just don't. Never mind. But uh, yeah, the, uh, I mean they're, they're filming in New York. I mm-hmm, guess maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know. But the it's just odd that like yeah the audience appetite was seemingly still here. People wanted to go see Lynn's move lines movies, and I it just. Find it bizarre he fell off the radar. Even if, yeah, even if it did do well critically, people saw this. And then yeah. if, I saw it on HBO, like uh, 
years later. Couldn't sit through it. This I, I rarely fall asleep during 302010 viewings and totally did. <laughs> oh, jeez. But I was willing to, yeah. I was willing to accept it, it, its subject matter is something I'm never in the mood for, which is a mature, like sort of a mature look at the complications of marriages and mm. midlife yada yadas and it just you you don't see that represented on screen much on the big screen anymore because you know maybe that's better represented on television yeah i don't know mm. i i found it interesting reading about the production and that like originally their marriage wasn't going to be good and like mm-hmm. richard Gere would be impotent or something and it's like that's a totally different movie then yeah. we're just sort of like yeah go get it girl as opposed to What's much more realistic, which is like, yeah, sometimes you're just bored. And how do you deal with that? You... Maybe <laughs> do, do you act out? Do you get it out of your system? But then also like she sees her lover with another woman and gets jealous. Like mm-hmm. you don't get to get jealous. What are you talking about? Right. Emotions are weird. That's like the point of the movie. <laughs> Emotions are fucking weird. Yeah. Sex complicates things. It really does. I'm just, I really liked Unfaithful. I don't know why people were just like me. I I think that it, this maybe this because it bec- it was becoming sort of the realm of like straight to HBO and mm-hmm. like does this justify a theatrical experience with a bankable star? Maybe it just wasn't that compelling anymore. I mean, there's got to be a reason this dude didn't make another movie for 20 years. Just maybe there wasn't an appetite for it. But like I, I thought I would have the appetite for it, given that we don't see that this much anymore. Yeah, I like I like shaking things up. I'm not I'm not all about watching Marvel movies. Uh, yeah. it, it is interesting to compare this Marvel to like Poison Ivy, yeah, another erotic thriller we're talking about, which is like so trashy, and yes. this like the is opposite. high melodrama. Yeah, like this is the classy version. And at least for the first forty five minutes, for me, painfully slow, painfully slow. <laughs> and which film got three sequels? <laughs> Well, there's, there's, well, you know what? The fucking, yeah, spoiler for Poison Ivy, that character dies at the end too, so there's no reason he couldn't make an unfaithful sequel. And yeah, I've never seen a, a title. You know what you're getting. I just, yeah, I wonder, I wonder why we didn't see more of these. But again, it's, it's hard for me to recommend just because this isn't the kind of thing I personally like. But Diana, you're saying totally worth the watch. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. yeah. As a thriller? Mm-hmm. Like it better yeah. than Deep Water? Oh. Deepwater is, well, yeah, I think probably I do. Okay. Deepwater is very, like, yeah, it's very strange. Makes makes New Orleans look really cool, though. That made me happy. Hell yeah. And then moving on to television 2002, May 6th to the 12th. I put this in here just to, like, get some kind of JRism out of it. The Honeymooners 50th anniversary celebration special hit wow. CBS. Honeymooners is just super bizarre to me. Because I think any, but most everybody has at least a casual awareness of this show. I think it's the meme of Pow Kazoom right to the moon that has stuck around in pop culture and it gets referenced a lot. But Rick Sanchez on Rick and Morty says, "Away we go," which is the Jackie Gleason catchphrase used in okay. this show. But it just it it's you know it's got such a complicated and bizarre history. This is airing on CBS. Because the channel Honeymooners originally aired on no longer exists. The most famous <laughs> Dumont Network show. It was a sketch on the Jackie Gleason show that became so popular, it kept taking up the entirety of the show until they made it into a show, stopped it. We're going to go back to doing sketches and do some Honeymooner sketches, which then extended the entirety of the show. And then through syndication, I believe there's a station in New York that has never stopped playing it. it it's still, it's aired 50 years. And yeah. I... I can believe it. I mean, it is the prototypical sitcom. Mm-hmm. Like, this is 
you're used to seeing this, you know, schlubby guy is hot wife and there's conflict. Also, he has a goofy best friend. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same Wife's as the Flintstones. too hot for him. It's, it, he has a, yeah, I remember, he, King of Queens. Ralph Cramden has a statue to this day in front of the New York Port Authority bus station as the fam- most famous bus driver in pop culture. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's but, fair. That's 100% fair. But not just like a, you ever saw him driving a bus because it all took place on one set. He can't go drive a bus. He just wears a uniform. But just, but it's it's small legacy is just so crazy. And and it, for me, my my favorite anecdote about because I like I get it, but I don't love it. It's not it's not my comfort viewing, and it was on all the time, especially if you didn't have cable. And I hated it so much because I just oh it's it would come on and I just groan that my parents would send me to the neighbor kid's house to spend the night even though we weren't very good friends. And I would ask, like, why the fuck am I here? And my parents are like, because we're watching The Honeymooners tonight. Years later, I, I learned code for my parents needing night alone to fuck was to tell me, get me out of the house was to tell me they'd be watching The Honeymooners. I'm like, that's it. I'm packing my shit and getting out. But I, for the JR-ness of it all. I, I looked into it. Mm-hmm. Nick Knight didn't begin rerunning The Honeymooners. Mm-hmm until December of 1995, Mm -hmm. which was past the point at which I was watching Nick Nick at Night. So I have zero exposure to The Honeymooners. I never watched it as a kid. I was aware about it through pop culture osmosis. But to this day, I have never seen a single episode. Yeah, it was. I I stressed the no cable aspect because um, in many towns, you have your NBC, ABC, CBSs, and then you have these other little stations that like broadcast local wrestling and Fat Albert reruns or Adam West Batman several times a day. And I love those channels growing up. And there was, and the Honeymooners was on numerous of them, and with only thirty nine episodes to show, so it was just all over the place. I, but more, more to the JRness of it all, we just talked about thirty years since the passing of Golden Girls, and. Yeah. Do you think a primetime network time slot will ever be devoted to a 50th anniversary of any TV program ever? What TV sure, show? Because the demographics of network TV keep getting older and older. It's so true. They're going to want to tap into that nostalgia. I think network TV is going to become less and less valuable. I feel like 20 years Actually, from now, I've, it could be like I was listening to a thing on the radio. And that will have the same viewership as network television. Now that you mention it, I, yeah, ABC is literally redoing episodes of All in the Family. And have you not seen that live episodes mm-hmm. casting no. Jamie Foxx and Jennifer Aniston? Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Wow. They're fun. Yeah. And they're like catering to 70s nostalgia, which, you know, I don't have that much. I'm just not aware of a lot of those shows. All in the Family, yes. But, but yeah, I thought it, thought it bizarre to devote two hours of a primetime block on a major network to a 50-year-old show and... Yeah, it seemed everybody knows what the honeymooners is. Yeah, well, it's it's either the honeymooners or I Love Lucy is the oldest TV show you have ever heard of yeah. or seen. Yeah. So yeah, it, it makes sense. I mean, the question is, in you know, twenty years, are we going to have you know a fiftieth anniversary of Cheers or yeah. Seinfeld? I yeah, see I don't see why not. I think yeah. Seinfeld or The Office, but it, it's also something yeah. I'm I, I'm truly fascinated by and don't want to bore the thirty twenty ten listeners much with but i think most shows build their legacy on repeat viewings slash syndication i don't watch many shows live as they happen i no, i hit it I, later probably than game of throws uh finale that is the last time i watched yeah. anything that it aired but it's always been like that i didn't see alf i watched alf in syndication i didn't watch growing pains as it aired i watched it in syndication that's where i 
you really start to love a show when you repeatedly watch it every day. Okay, and yeah. Honeymooners has had the luxury of being such an old show, unaffiliated with the network. It was able to do that for 50 years. Crazy. Episode of Boston Public. What? A gay male student runs for prom queen and some female students are outraged. Yeah, I was just surprised that a network TV show in 2002 would have a gay male student uh, running for prom queen. And he wins and there's a same-sex dance at the end of it. So, hey. surprised. Oh, scandal. Uh, an yep. episode of ER airs. Do I remember when that was legal? I don't. <laughs> They're coming for everyone's rights. <sighs> Uh, Sorry. That's, it, it's worth. It's been more than an hour. I had to scream. It's worth ringing a bell over. ER airs the episode on the beach, and that is where Doctor oh. Green dies. Oh, this is so sad. Oh my god, yeah. this is yeah. There's so many episodes of so many TV shows where you know a beloved character dies because they're leaving the show, and this is it's such a prolonged time coming. Where yeah, we find out Anthony Edwards, Doctor Green, he's got uh, like a horrible brain tumor, and it's a plot for a really long time. And finally they're like, he doesn't have much time left. And he like goes back to Hawaii where he grew up with, you know, his daughter is teenager and has problems. There's a point like she steals some of his pain meds because she's depressed. And, oh, it's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. So Noah Wiley's character was the viewpoint character, the newbie who we see the show through. But Dr. Green was always the centerpiece character of ER. He was who most plots eventually touched on. He was the doctor who always wished was your doctor. And then this episode hits like a punch to the gut because it's it's a memento mori episode. It's a reminder to us that any of us can die at any time. We can die slowly or painfully. You'd have no control over it sometimes. And Dr. Green didn't. He did everything he should, and he still couldn't stop his death. And he's forced to say goodbye to his daughter, who is undergoing problems. She's doing drugs, and Dr. Green sees her stealing some of his drugs, and he's dying. You know, he is not sure what is going to happen to his daughter when he dies, because he doesn't know who will take care of her yeah and that, I mean, that's it's a gonna hurt, be her thing yeah like her stepmom is there but they don't get along great right. you know because she's a troubled teen she doesn't get along with anybody yeah and he'd been arguably the main character for eight years yeah. on this show oh man anthony uh, edwards is so damn good yeah there, there's a really heartbreaking clip if we can play it don't do this i don't i don't know what to do i don't have time to work this through I'm not going to be here in a year to help. You got a bastard of a father who was never around and then went off and had a new baby. Your mom got remarried to a creep. She works too much. You got a raw deal, all right? Why not get high? No one gives a damn about you anyway. You know how that feels? I remember being 14 and pissed off at my dad and the world. What are you going to do when I'm not here, Rach? Who is going to keep you from killing yourself? I'm scared. I'm scared about what's going to happen to you. Look, it sucks. I'm your father, and I'm going to die. You know what? I think it sucks, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As yeah. a parent, of course, fear your own death in and of itself. Mm -hmm. But also, there is always the fear of, if I die, what happens to my kid? And to have to face that reality when the possibility is not good things is heartbreakingly terrifying. Ah, uh, yeah, we're so good. 
And yeah, I, I stopped watching ER in 1999, and this is the first episode I've watched of it, uh, other than a couple for this podcast. But by the end of it, I was bawling. I was just crying. Um, and then uh, we have uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Seeing Red. Seeing Red. Youch. This yeah. is another gut punch episode, because this is the episode where they're doing the magic, they're doing the demons, and then Warren comes in with a gun and shoots Buffy and kills Tara. Yep. And oh. so you're in this happy fantasy land where magic is the thing. And then the intrusion of a gun just kind of like is a kapow because you don't see it coming, yeah. but th there's no reason the bad guys couldn't have just pulled out a machine gun at any time and shoot Buffy, but that hadn't been done before, and Warren is the type of character who would absolutely do that because he's pissed off, and it's it's a powerful, powerful moment because of that. Yeah. Mm. So one of the many out-of-nowhere, seemingly needless Joss Whedon death sequences like uh, <laughs> likes to kill his characters like that. Oh, boy. Oof. Raising Dad ends this week, a, a sitcom I never heard of, but looks no, like... No, but it stars one of your favorites. This is Bob Saget's follow-up. Not only, I just, it's, crea they... it's created by Jonathan Katz. Yeah, so it's created Katz by Jonathan Katz. Good job with the casting, everyone. The, his daughters are played by Kat Dennings and Brie Larson. That's nuts. Not bad. 20 years and, ago. Yeah, it went... You know, it went like one full season mm -hmm. where, you know, he's a widowed dad. Yeah, he's a widowed dad. And I think he teaches at high school. And yeah, I miss Bob Saget already. Um, and then, uh, although yeah. I am a little bit mad at his parents because when Bob Saget passed away, you know, there was a lot of talk about his sister who had passed and how yeah. he raised a bunch of money for that. The realization that his sister's name was Gay Saget. What? <laughs> uh -uh. Yeah. Yeah, his sister was named Gay. I need to check Gay with the uh, last name is Saget. I need to what? check with the president of podcast and see if Diana can even say that name. What? What are Mom and Pa Saget doing? It's like oh. I've was I've it, met people it, named Gay. That's that's a different thing. F term just not popular when they named it. I I don't know. I don't know, but I demand answers. <laughs> also this week airing the Simpsons episode, Little Girl in the Big Ten. Bart gets a mysterious virus from China. Wow. This is what? brought up as like, oh, the Simpsons predicted the future. And you know why he gets a virus from China? Because a blood ton of viruses come out of China. Mm -hmm. Got a lot the, of people there. This isn't even yeah. the first Simpsons episode with a virus from China. <laughs> it's coughed in a box and <laughs> a early episode uh, yeah. manufacturing something in a factory i didn't know what the hell is this diana help me out here la law uh, the movie yeah la law the movie airs i don't know if it's just a stunt or if they're trying to get re la law restarted because it ended in 94 yeah so yeah the the same year er started so it's been eight years and they just have like a follow-up TV movie of like where all the characters are and then and there's a case and they have to do lawyering stuff and I guess why not? It's just, everybody? They typically call it the movie when it goes to theaters or gets recast completely, and this is just a single follow-up of LA Law. I gotta yeah. feel it was a failed pilot. Yeah, probably. they were yeah. like, let's let's see if we can get interest. No, okay, TV movie yeah. it is. Yeah, or to like have a series of TV movies like they did with Perry Mason or mm -hmm. something. Yeah. Like that kind of would have been cool. Yeah. You don't, but, I, I'm yeah. saying don't call it the movie. So you don't pigeonhole yourself. Keep this going. Make it a franchise. Yeah. We also have something that I, I'd say 
20 years earlier, little Chris sees there's something called Dinotopia coming out. It's just like, well, set aside my entire schedule. Push all my appointments for Dinotopia. Yeah. Oh. This is the miniseries, not the series. Yeah. Right. This is the thing that launches Dinotopia. Yeah. And it sucks. Uh, <laughs> so, of course, uh, Dinotopia is a popular series of gorgeously drawn children's books. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it pr- paints this picture of a world where dinosaurs and uh, humans live together in immaculate artwork, and it's turned into a pretty cheesy Hallmark movie. Yep, 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 yep. I did not see it. I just remember reading reviews and like, oh, can I just trust anything? I should I should be able to trust anything with dinosaur in the title. It just can't happen anymore. But then, whoop, uh, rounding out 2002... How about some games like Tactics Ogre, one of my least favorite game names of all time. The Knight of Lotus. <laughs> uh, rare tactical role-playing game. They don't make a lot of these, and what they do usually gets a pretty big following in its I, niche. I could be wrong. I love the games uh, Bust a Groove, and they were like two-on-two dancing games. So, uh, so you would hit the right button combinations on rhythms, and you could fight your friends and Street Fighter style. And I think instead of making a third or fourth one of those, the developers made a Britney Spears game, Britney's Dance Beat. And they basically just take the formula, get rid of all the colorful characters with all the theming, and just... I, I can see how you trade it off. Britney Spears is arguably bigger than Ham, the dancer who likes hamburgers. But it, <laughs> what? Yes, that's a busted groove character. I love him. But uh, yes, uh, Brittany does her own voice, her own vocals in this. If you look at it, it's, you know, that's wonderful PS2 graphics where all the people just like so- look like soulless abominations. Hey there, I'm Brittany Spears. My world tour is starting soon, so I'm holding auditions around the country to find the best dancers. Since I spend so much time on the road with my dancers, they're like my family. So if you think you've got what it takes, let's see what you can do. Her southern accent just comes and goes uh, <laughs> throughout the last couple decades. We're going to close out with Pink, because she's on the charts this week with Don't Let Me Get Me. I, that's a title I do like. But stay right there, people. We still have plenty to talk about in 2012. I'm a hazard to Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of May 6th through 12th, you know, movies, not so much, but big music recommend. 50 years ago this week saw the release of possibly the Rolling Stones' best album, definitely a top five, Exile on Main Street, which is probably my second or third favorite. Um, I'm a Sticky Fingers person, which is the previous album, but a lot of Exile on Main Street comes from like the same sessions. So if you like Sticky Fingers, you go like Exile on Main Street. Uh, Tumbling Dice is probably the song that people know the best from it. And it's, yeah, it's great. It's like what the Rolling Stones do. It's adapting blues into harder rock. And it's freaking great. It's, it's so hard for me to talk about music. Why I like music? Because it's just good. So yeah, if you've never checked out Exile on Main Street, which is seriously one of the best albums of all time, uh, you definitely should. And it's one that it's fun to play multiple times. Like you get into it. But I feel like I should make a movie recommendation. So since we just talked about One False Move and because 
film Twitter this last weekend was an awful lot of fun because of the 20th anniversary of Spider-Man and the release of the Doctor Strange sequel. It was a love fest for Sam Raimi and people bringing up Sam Raimi movies that didn't get their due. I saw a lot of love for Dark Man, which we've talked about on the show. I had never seen it, watched it. I loved it. Even more love for The Quick and the Dead, which is wonderful. And we still have, it's 1995, so we still have a while before we get to talk about it. I'm so bummed because The Quick and the Dead is like a Western for people who don't give a shit about Westerns. Early roles from Russell Crowe and Leonardo DiCaprio, who apparently Sharon Stone went to bat for and basically gave him careers. So nice. The Quick and the Dead cannot recommend it enough. And like I said, because we just talked about one false move, Sam Raimi made a movie with Bill Paxton and Billy Bob Thornton. Six years after One False Move, A Simple Plan, which is an outstanding neo-noir, I guess I can call that one a noir, because it's kind of like a heist movie that happens after the actual heist movie, where some folks in the middle of nowhere stumble across uh, a bunch of ransom money, and then they start backstabbing each other over it. Beautifully acted, wonderfully shot, Simple Plan. I know we talked about it back when we talked about 1998, but I have to underline it. It is It's surprising that it's Sam Raimi, and yet... It isn't. It's really, really solid. So, yep, those are my recommendations. That's it for this week. Stay classic. Thank God all these bottles I pop, all this paper I've been getting, all these models I pop. I just sold a hundred thousand for my album got dropped in the morning 23. I'm the shit now. Look at me. Look at me. I'm a boss like my nigga Rose. Shorty at me for a check. I told that bitch like, no way. Cause I made it from the bottom, there was never no way And I never had a job, you know I had to sell, yeah Coming into 2012 with uh, I'm a Boss by Meek Mill featuring Rick Ross off of Dream Chasers 2 Welcome to 2012, y'alls uh, May 6th to the 12th Oh, the whole world is glowing with Avengers love. It's just, it's just how it is. I keep seeing people post about Avengers being 10. It just feels hard to believe. New releases and music also include Oftibin by the Brian Jones Sound Massacre, In the Belly of the Brazen Bull by the Cribs, Monolith of Inhumanity by uh, Cattle Decapitation. <laughs> Uh, I think they're going to play My Sister's Wedding. Neck of the Woods by Silver Sun Pickups. Appraised by Iggy Pop. Uh, Not Your Kind of People by Garbage. And Rise of the Phoenix by Tenacious. The somebody that I used to know by Godier is still number one. I just, for no reason, saw that Tenacious D video for Rise of the Phoenix. And it's directed by the Everything Everywhere All at Once guys. And what? it's hilarious. Yeah. I'd never seen it before, and I really like that movie, so just mentioning it here in 10 years too early. Let's get to tell you a little bit of news going around the world in 2012. Greek parliamentary election results in 60% support for parties opposed to austerity measures. Yeah, so this is 2012, still very fresh off the economic crisis. Greek had to do a bunch of austerity measures to stay in the eurozone but they kept wanting to not do those austerity measures and they kept negotiating with the eu and then they held an election saying well we'll show you what we think and they did the election and nothing changed the eu was like we see you've had an election you've still got to do the austerity measures uh also in a no way timely uh, vladimir putin sworn in for third six-year term as president of russia in an election, I can only matter was fair and accurate. Oh, uh, yes. I'm sure it was 
wonderful. Yes. Yeah. So six-year term. He was supposed to not be able to do that, but he did anyways. Uh, his term of office will now come up in two more years. So I'm Ooh. sure that election could be fun. <laughs> fun to watch that election night. Uh, how much did we win by? Uh, mm. The United States... 98.2 have them killed. <laughs> uh, United States President Barack Obama officially states his support for same-sex marriage. About time. About time. Well, this is one of those things where you go, do I trust what the politician is saying or do I trust what I think is probably the politician's true intent? Because in 2008, Barack Obama said, I am not in favor of gay marriage multiple times. Mm -hmm. But... There had been some documents that he signed uh, before running for national office that showed that he was supporting gay marriage. Yes. So a lot of people went, well, obviously he's lying. And that turned out to be the case. He did always support gay marriage, even when he said, no, I don't didn't support, support it. Saying that for purely political reasons. He I, was lying for his political goal, which I, I, shocking, shocking is something politicians do. I, I but still, it's, I it's still a think... useful case for going... Okay, I know you're lying. You know I know you're lying. Yeah, and it's in a way, it's maybe a mark of progress to look forward to that both him and Hillary Clinton said they didn't support gay marriage, although obviously they did, but was still politically unpopular to say in public just ten years ago. Ten years ago was the first president to support gay marriage, even though. Any de you know every Democrat at this point was totally in favor. It's just they're afraid of losing those purple votes. Yeah. Well, and some of them, it's they don't want to go with marriage, but they want like, oh, but there's a civil union that's the exact same thing as marriage, but we don't have to call it marriage. They'll make you feel better. Yeah, I think some of this is because of United States versus Windsor is about to come up before the Supreme Court, which invalidated the Defense of Marriage Act. And one third of Democrats did not support gay marriage in 2012. Oh, so unbelievable. Mm -hmm. uh, so how far we've come, I suppose. Yeah, um, how far we've come. Hey, I we've had know. gay marriage for a while now. Does yeah. it affect you? Yeah. Did anything happen? No. <laughs> Do anything uh, in your in your day to day life? Yeah. yeah. That's that's the what they're going to go after next after they go after abortion. Everyone, they're going to go <laughs> after likely. gay rights, and then they can honestly, because of the reasoning that they were using to possibly strike down abortion, they can go after interracial marriage. Yeah, They could just let states decide that again. To make a lawsuit reach the Supreme Court, you have to show that you are being damaged by something. This makes it very hard to sue the government over things like gay marriage. You have to be able to show that the government is hurting you. They made me turn my Chippendale action figures into a wedding cake topper. It was, oh, no. it was outrageous. Yeah. You know what else they might come for? Sodomy laws. Mm. If you have ever liked oral or anal, I got bad <laughs> news for you. The cops could come through your door. It's true. I am not joking. It's fucking true. It, it wasn't even that long ago they, they lifted the fucking ban on it. Yeah. Some dude got arrested like in the internet age for getting caught fucking somebody. Uh, yep. Sodomy laws. God mm -hmm. damn. I didn't think I'd think the world was so much better 12 years ago, but here we are. Because mm -hmm. uh, another thing, a little more fun thing in the news is the discovery of a missing Mayan calendar piece that disproves the 2012 Armageddon. This was so silly. And I just, <laughs> I, like like the my pillow guy who promises evidence on the election every 10 minutes 
never does it, and he still gets to go on air and say he's going to do it. Why do we still listen to these apocalyptic people after 2012? Like, 2012 was the cutoff for, like, 30 years. This is definitely when the world ends. Please donate to the Alex Jones show. (laughs) It didn't happen. How can you be trusted again with anything? I remember there were, like, billboards around town. Like, here it comes. Here it comes, the 2012 Armageddon. And it was much quieter than all that. And the Avengers was pretty good. I saw it a second time instead of the world ending. 2012 movies, May 6th to the 12th, the Avengers is still number one. And I don't know if movies smartly just got the fuck out of the way. Like, Mm -hmm. maybe just give up the next two, three weeks to Marvel here. Uh, this is pretty unprecedented because I don't remember any of these coming out of the time. These are small. At least one of them went to VOD in the U.S. Mm. Crooked Arrows with Brandon Routh. Ruth? Routh? Routh. And uh, Gil Birmingham. Oh, it sounds like it's so close to a movie that I really want to see because it's about a Native American lacrosse team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like an underdog sports story, but also about like tribal politics and racism and it was like partially funded by a couple native american nations that kicked in a bunch of money mm-hmm. and you know the reviews were just sort of like oh this should have been better because yeah like okay are there lacrosse movies no i looked it up my son does lacrosse and oh. this film makes every single lacrosse film list i mean if you look at <laughs> lacrosse movies this is on it. Uh, unfortunately, I did not have time to watch it with him because I wanted to save it and our schedules didn't align. But yeah, yeah, I'm going to watch it. I, I just didn't have time. Yeah, I just, there's a lot there that you could work with. And I mean, you could complain about Brandon Roth playing someone who's half native. And okay, fine. but yeah, the fact that there's actual, you know, native people involved makes me a little happier. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and reading up, I don't know how lacrosse became like such a white guy sport. And then like reading up on the history of it and, you know, where it sits in native culture and all that is like really interesting. Yeah. sounds like lacrosse games used to take place over miles. Like, yeah, I want to see that. Awesome. And, uh... yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Crooked Arrows. And we got uh, Felicity Jones, Hugh Dancy, Maggie Gyllenhaal and Hysteria, not the Steven Spielberg historical Tiny Toons follow-up. No, uh, God, no. No. No, no, very much, very no. This is about back in the day when they used to treat hysteria in women with manual manipulation to cause hysterical paroxysm. Lots of words there, Diane. Orgasms. There you go. Yeah, it's about Jonathan Price and uh, Hugh Dancy, and they're like doctors, and they're trying to treat women. Basically, it is a fancy dress-up story of how the vibrator was invented. (laughs) But, But... The women you're seeing it being used on are basically, you know, 19th century nanas. They're, yeah. uh, yeah. uh it's, it, a, it's not like a titillation film. The in that tagline no. should be, she needs to get laid by law. They <laughs> 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 well, yeah, used to think his, hysteria, like women would get surly and depressed and angry. And it's probably because something's wrong with their uterus and not because like they live in the 19th century and it sucks. Yeah. There's there's an internet meme out there saying, I wish I lived in the 19th century when uh, if I had depression, they'd give me heroin and a vibrator instead of frozen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I thought, I mean, it was was pretty fun. It was interesting to watch it so close to A Dangerous Method, which Mm -hmm. we had the the Carl Jung, Sigmund Freud, Kira Knightley needs a spanking movie, (laughs) which is really, really good and much more like treats this seriously. Whereas this is a much lighter tone, but it was it was pretty interesting and like I had fun. So yeah, hysteria. It's yay. <laughs> Up next, we got uh, Tom Wilkinson, Ruth. We got to be careful. With this one, Ruth Naga. 
Um, mm-hmm. Luke Hervey and Samuel L. Jackson in The Samaritan. Um, yeah, this released overseas, but not in the U.S. because Samuel L. Jackson, they're like running a grift on some gangster guys and Ruth Nega plays his daughter, which is like, that's pretty good casting, actually. I could see that. Yeah, barely any reviews and they were just sort of like, meh. Yeah, I've never even heard of this, but, you know, this is during that, in Avengers, but, like, Sam Jackson was in, like, four movies a year, mostly forgettable. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. There's a reason he has the highest gross of any actor in all of history. Yeah, because he's in every franchise. Yeah. In every franchise, man. He's in every franchise, and he just keeps working. It's a couple movies every year, man. And lastly, the biggie of the week. I can't imagine it made number one, but it probably got... Nope. Um, number two with the default bullets, Chloe Grace Moretz, Bella Heathcote, Jackie Earl Haley, Ava Green, Helen Bottom Carter, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Johnny Depp. It's Dark Shadows. We hit something. I cannot imagine how thirsty I am. What is the year? 1972. I have spent the last two centuries locked in a box. Welcome home. I shall restore the family to its glory. How soon can the horses be ready? We don't have horses. We have a Chevy. A woman doctor. What an age this is. Is he for real? I am a vampire. Congratulations. Dark Shadows. Experience it in IMAX. Oh boy. Dark Shadows. This movie is... So strange. I wish I mm. loved it more. Did either of you have any experience with the Dark Shadows soap opera? Which so this is that's I, I a little bit. I wanted to I wanted to bring up because I was talking previously about all those in between channels in the eighties as a kid without cable, and the scariest thing I'd ever seen on television was a promo for they had we got the rights to Dark Shadows. I'm like this looks terrifying holy shit and then i watch it and it is absolutely indigestible in any modern setting it is a slow it looks like a soap opera i think it aired it's a soap opera it totally is but i think i I think it it didn't air in like the midday hours it aired uh it was a nighttime soap but it has that video quality yeah it is it is oh boy it's hard to look at excruciating and this the, there's 1225 yes. episodes of dark there's shadows six seasons. it is to this date the only soap opera that has been released complete on, on dvd yeah i don't doubt wow. it and this is the third theatrical dark dark shadows movie technically because it was so popular at the time it got movies made concurrent with its airings but that said like we've all just stated our history with dark shadows you may have some knowledge of barnabas collins who i I believe is sort of like the steve urkel of the show the the show was Mm. had minor supernatural bents and then was about to get canceled and sort of like fuck it vampire like ghosts we're gonna just throw everything at the wall and and his character was just instantly popular and made the show the success you know we still talk about but it was serious and this movie has like a very Brady Bunch movie. Like you guys all know mm. Dark Shadows, and we're making jokes about Dark Shadows. Like, no, Tim, no, we don't. The majority <laughs> of film going audience doesn't have any idea why you turn this soap opera into a comedy. And I, I just remember reading about it. Like these are jokes for real Dark Shadows fans, but like it's they're unpalatable for people like us. I just don't understand this movie. Yeah, and 
I was surprised, you know, because we have talked about what feels like the Tim Burton falling apart in my estimation mm -hmm. of going from one of my favorite directors to someone I kind of wish would retire. Yeah. It, you know, with like Alice in Wonderland, we've talked about that. Yes. And, and people will point out, like, they think Dark Shadows is like the rare bright spot. And I don't fucking understand it. I'll give you big eyes, maybe. I'll definitely give you big fish. Mm -hmm. I don't know why those both start with big, but whatever. <laughs> but this is like half a parody of soap opera yeah. type stuff, which I, and I like that, but you could go even bigger. And then the other half, like I was looking for what, how do I put it? And my husband nailed it. It's Austin Powers. The rest of it is a fish out of water. Comedy. Yeah. And I haven't thought of Brady Bunch movie, but that's also a really good comparison where it's just jokes about be, being anachronistic. Yeah. And the Brady Bunch, like, the can you believe we're making is, this movie now? The tone is just all over the place and yeah. characters disappear for long stretches of time and plots just sort of totally come and go no. for no reason starting with the slaughter of the workers fairly yeah. early on in the film it's like wh why are we going to root for barnabas after that you know it doesn't really advance his character any except to you know make the audience not like him mm. and I didn't see the point of it. And then you're right. The tone just jumps all over it's... from wacky comedy to attempt at horror, to attempt at being a soap opera, to attempt at being a nostalgia gag for people who probably don't know the Dark Shadows series that well. Yeah. Not the way I know no. the Brady Bunch. Right. You know, I mean, Barnabas, I would say, is one of the most famous vampires. Yeah. I, I, I don't necessarily think that translates that well into knowing dark shadows the tv yeah show. and also his character is different than the barnabas collins here he's much more of a dracula he's much well, suaver the, the, the original. original barnabas was supposed to be a villain he was supposed yeah. to come in show for 12 weeks be a villain and then die but he was so popular they just basically made him the star of the whole show yeah, yeah i, I think it's... most people who've even uh. seen this movie if you go on ebay there you will be floored by how much Barnabas Collins merchandise there is because this show was pretty big with kids I, that's why Tim Burton is sort of remaking it and on JR's point that's why it feels so much almost exactly like Mars Attacks to me like a movie based in some obscure nostalgia that I wasn't totally part of and it's just really close to being so weird it's great but it isn't but I feel like maybe someday I can look at this is a big this is a successful film people liked yeah. it uh, people liked it but I I just Man, I never hear about Dark Shadows anymore. But and I even just, back then. Yeah, I I hated it. I hated, hated this it. Movie. I hated movie. And I like I like everybody who's in it. Mm -hmm. uh, the costume design, the set design, all fantastic. I I want those terrazzo floors, goddammit. Like I feel like Ava Green might be the only person who gets it mm -hmm. fully. Like she really she's an actress who really knows how to commit to camp. It's the same with that 300 sequel prequel where like she knows how to go big in in a fun campy way and it's like if it kept that sort of tone then I would I would enjoy it a bit more but it was just the randomness and just yeah. like oh we're over here now oh what do we do and then like and the dumbest ending I think I've ever seen yeah I'm just oh p.s. I'm a werewolf like what you haven't even established that werewolves exist why are you here now I don't what? Yeah, I Why? Can't, I, can't, I couldn't, can't tell if they're setting up something or if this is all just like a tip of the hat to the 1,300 episodes I've never seen. Yeah, uh, and you can fix that with like one line thrown yeah. in earlier. To like, uh, that's, that's what, you know, high melodrama is supposed to be is everyone's sort of be like, but what about your dark secret? And then they like stare off and then like right into the camera and say, they must never know my 
dark secret. <laughs> it's like, yeah, do it big, bitch. What are All you right. doing here? Here's my reboot. Right. Barnabas wakes up same time, but he ends up as star of a soap opera in the there 1960s. That's how you got to do it. Hey. That's how you got to do it. That'd be fun. Yeah. yeah. Galaxy Quest himself. Yeah, and, exactly. And uh, yeah. yeah, but I... I, I I don't say it's good. To die. I may not be fully in Diana. This is bad camp, but mm-hmm. it is fascinatingly weird in a way that's not good. It, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, no points for weird. It has fun. It has funny moments, weird. a funny moment or like genuinely funny moment or two, but like this is an adaptation of a soap opera. Why is this funny? Is this supposed to be horrific? Or am I supposed to be scared? It's so strange. It's, it's, it seems like a, a total vanity project for Tim Burton. Uh, to to have pulled off but like numerous studios have bought the rights to dark it's been rebooted several times it never takes but um i believe like overseas the original still runs like in heavy rotation so (laughs) it's got clout americans might be able might not be able to understand but what a weird 150 million dollar budget worth of clout (laughs) i don't but then i really think that uh, i I gotta blame alice in wonderland for this yeah it's like that made a fuck ton of money yeah, and I hated it. There's nothing Tim okay. Burton can't Tim Burton. Yeah. <laughs> he can Tim Burton anything, and it is. But it it's our reunion, uh, Catwoman reunion. He hasn't. I don't think he's worked with Michelle Pfeiffer since uh, Batman Returns, hmm. and I don't remember why. But I was excited to see that again because I love Batman Returns. Yeah, Dark Shadows. Coming up soon in '92. Ooh, TV 2012 May 6th through the 12th. Is this what I think it is? The Brotherhood it's, of Man. It, yeah. Uh, so, in my opinion, this is the last week literally not figuratively but literally literally the greatest lineup in all of tv comedy history will air all new episodes for each of its shows we've got a new episode of community a new episode of 30 rocks a new episode of the office and a new episode of parks and rec and that will never happen again after this day they never get a new episode aired on the same date Uh, huh uh, they get moved around next year because I, I have and, uh, I have this is the last episode of this season of Parks and Rec and the last episode uh, this season of The Office so it's all reruns for those until the next season when it's a different lineup and are we going to play the, the clip from the Brotherhood of Man is that the Super Bowl we promo got it. It's, it's, it lives in my mind even though I'd already cut the cord in 2012 yeah. so I never saw this live but in yeah. retrospect I can't believe I missed this genius moment in comedy I think it's a Super Bowl commercial that sees all of our favorite cast dancing to the same song we're in the Brotherhood the office Parks. Community. All human hearts and minds into one brotherhood. <laughs> I think there's a there's a longer version. There is a longer version, yeah. but this is the version with just those four comedies. Thank which, you. Yeah. And then no uh, no Donald Trump because he is in the full version. As an, hmm. as an apprentice cast member. Speaking of community, Curriculum Unavailable is the episode that airs this week. And uh, Greendale is this Green, Greendale. The Greendale doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, was it uh, John Hodgman as the therapist? Yes. 
telling them that actually Greendale is a mental institution and that's where they all are right now. Yes. You all came to this community college after your lives fractured pill addiction, failed legal career, broken marriage, lost scholarship, old. Enough! I don't want to hear mine. And if we are going to fabricate a delusion, why would we fabricate a community college? Ah, yes. This fantastical community college where everything that happens is unbelievably ridiculous and it all revolves around you as a group. The same reason anyone plunges into psychosis, Miss Perry. It was a mentally compatible alternative to your grim reality. It's a fun episode. I really thought for a second, like, are you really going to do this? I, I thought for a second they were going to do it, but yeah. it falls apart instantly yeah. because Allison Bree is like, I am literally wearing a Greendale College backpack right now. <laughs> also that night, 30 Rock, uh, the return of Avery Jessup. Yep. Um, uh, no need to listen to the rest of the podcast because Liz will wrap up all of 2012. Deathly Hallows and Tebow. Oprah does her last show. Beyonce had a baby. Yo, it's a 12 month wrap up, wrap, wrap, wrap up. You know what? I'll just read some us weeklies. <laughs> On the office this week, three family portrait studio. There was a long running plot line in this season of The Office where Dwight thinks he's the father of Angela's ginormous baby. Dwight. Nice to see you. May I hold him? Sure. No, I am going to hold him because I have seen him all day. I think that Dwight is doing this whole thing to um, get a sample of my baby's DNA to prove he's the father, which is impossible because the senator is the only man I've ever been with. Lies. Uh, indeed. It's on, we have it on camera. What, <laughs> are you lying to the camera about things that are on camera? And then Parks and Rec, lastly, win, lose, or draw, the season finale. Ron Swanson is talking about how he's the type of guy who really craves stability, and that's not for Leslie. What would you do? Well, I've never been one for meeting new people or doing new things or eating new types of food or traveling outside of southern Indiana. I've had the same haircut since 1978 and have driven the same car since 1991. I've used the same wooden comb for three decades. I have one bowl. I still get my milk delivered by horse. You do? But you and Leslie like to hold hands and jump off of cliffs together into the great unknown. You two have a good relationship. Mm, oh, thank you, Ron. Yeah. Love a good Swansonism. Uh, also this week, The Secret Circle ends... Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, it's a show about magic and witches and adjusting to a new life. And it has teenagers do stupid things when they're given magical powers, which makes sense. It's lasted 22 episodes. Much bigger run of 1,100 episodes. Martha Stewart's show ends. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, she had the best-selling cookbook since Julia Child's The Art of French Cooking. And wow. Yeah, and uh, she pivoted that into a successful TV show and built up a huge empire. She branched off into a lot of different shows after this. She and Snoop have a cooking show, which yep. is just one of those things where you're like, okay, then. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, there is going to be a biopic on her when she dies, just like there was on Julia Child, I guarantee. I think there has been. There, there was the TV movie starring Sybil Shepherd. Shepherd that was yeah. pretty hilarious. They roast one another on, well, I can't remember what roast it is. They're both panelists, though. Yeah, and I just think it's like people like Martha Stewart and Oprah 
have built such a vast empire that they're forced to walk away from their number one television show. I have to go manage the rest of my business. I don't have time yeah. to be a TV star. Lastly, in um, reality news, uh, Jermaine Paul on uh, Team Blake Shelton wins the second season of The Voice. Hooray. Um, Yay. Video games this week, 2012. <sighs> Was supposed to be big for me. Starhawk on a PS3, a spiritual follow-up to Warhawk, the PS1 classic and failed reboot. Uh, Starhawk, a space flight game. Was it? Did it launch multiplayer only or something like that? I remember it had some controversy like that. Uh, we wow. also have this is uh, this is great in terms of like the the most lucrative games I have never pl- never played. Tomb of the Lost Queen, the 26th installment of the Nancy Drew point-and-click uh, series from Her Interactive. Yeah, you know, these point-and-click games are super popular, and they don't make a big splash, but there's so many of them that there's tons of people who play them. You're, you, I know you're all savvy podcast listeners, and you stream your what's-nots, but next, do yourself a favor. Next time you're in a Walmart or a big box store, visit the PC game section. It still exists, and it's mostly this. It is mostly this point and click stuff, occasionally a Warcraft, but like, yeah, there's still a physical PC game section at certain Best Buys and Walmarts, and it's a lot of Nancy Drew point and click. And then lastly, in books, did I talk about this guy in another episode? Because I just watched that Netflix uh, we series. off mic. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sir Jimmy Sal, the authorized biography is out, and I believe this woman is in that new Netflix documentary. She yeah. is. I looked it up, and this is like the worst timing by any author I can ever find. Because for our listeners who don't know, Jimmy Savile is a British television radio guy, been on the air for about 50 years, got knighted, died, some scandals while he was alive. But like Cosby, it was always in the background. It was always rumors and whatnot. And uh, no legal charges were ever brought. And so he gets a authorized biography saying what an amazing guy he is. And then like one, maybe two months after this book is published, the story of what a absolute monster this guy is. It's just a disgusting human being who molested and raped people from the ages of five to 85. I think the documentary said, and he had been doing this for decades. And it's so sinister and massive. It's, it's hard to comprehend. He, he also was the host for 20 years of a show that basically granted wishes to kids and was infinitely, uh, was knighted based on his charitable work in hospitals. And he used both to find victims, yeah. hundreds yeah. of victims for dozens of years. And what's the fascinating part of this documentary is like having this biography out. People are like, like I'm just a ladies man. I can't settle for one one lady, just one lady, they start looking into it. Like, actually, we've never known you to be anywhere near a human woman. Or there's no reports of you having any hookups with an adult at all. What do you do to get your rock? Why do you have a private bedroom in this hospital? It is so fucking bizarre. That documentary is just just chills me man it is fucking crazy yeah since his death he has 500 legal charges against him that's not 500 different people posting on twitter saying he molested me that's 500 people willing after he's dead to give a legal disposition saying this guy molested me yeah jesus men women children old people yeah it's Mm -hmm. it's so unbelievable a guy could have anything in the world and that's what he did with his unbelievable utterly possible that's why he wanted to become famous so he could do that yeah like the watched i watched it after we talked 
Chris, mm-hmm. and it was a grit your teeth and plow through oh, this. Yeah. Uncomfortable. If, if like as, somebody wrote a narrative fictional movie with all these beats, you're like, that is just unbelievable. That would, would never happen. It. I would never believe mm-hmm. this. I, I would be like, that's too large. Maybe if you would have done 50, I could believe it, but mm-hmm. 500, no. Yeah. Yeah. And every one of those people thought, no one would believe me if I said anything mm-hmm. and didn't realize, nope, there's hundreds of you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's still, it still shocks me. And that's why, and as an American, I know the English, like they're all well aware of this and have been for years, but like we, most Americans have no idea who this guy is, but if you're yeah. wi- willing to watch a two part documentary on the biggest monster, I think of the 20th century. Yeah. Jimmy Savile, the authorized biography in that Netflix doc. Uh, we are almost through with the show that almost wraps up t- that wraps up 2012, but we do want to tell you who died during this period of 2010 and we'll have a quiz based on who lived and I'll try not to decimate JR once again. But I got to say uh, thank you for supporting the Laser Time Patreon, patreon.com slash laser time. We got some extra shows for you. I think we have a big Elden Ring cast up right now. Um, that was super fun to do with the Video Game Apocalypse boys and Video Game Apocalypse this week. So be sure to listen to that. Di, where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at listeninerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. Coming up next week, well, it leaked a week early, but now we get to talk about Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. (laughs) We also get to talk about, oh, we got a Lethal Weapon sequel. We have the trashiest of true crime stories. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you're talking about. You will never forget the name, Botafuco. (laughs) And we have one of the funniest sketches in all of TV history, for me to poop on. Ah, yes. The last time you'll see female genitalia. Hell yeah. All right, well, tune in next week. Tell a friend about the show. Deaths. The the deaths that occurred this week. Oh, man. It's a lot. There's a whole bunch, and um, most of them are incredibly sad. In 1992 is when we lost Robert Reed, who's 59. It's the dad from the Brady Bunch. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, he died of AIDS. Because yes. he was in the closet the whole time. And Marlena Dietrich, who's 90, 9-0. Marlena Dietrich is a true legend and badass. Um, I think it's, you must remember this, mm-hmm. did a whole series about what stars did during World War II. She was a German national. She came to the U.S. and became a star. And Hitler offered her the entire film industry on a platter to come back to Germany and make bitchin' Nazi movies. And instead, she concocted a plan to seduce and murder him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That had a movie. Tarantino film I'd watch. Yeah, really what? And then, but instead, she like went on USO tours where she's at the front, and there's like rats crawling on her. And yeah, she was a fucking badass, sending messages into Germany about like, I still love you, boys. Now you should come over to stop fighting. Actually, mm. she didn't sound like that at all. Also, if you if you've ever watched Blazing Saddles, you know Marlena Daedric. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, in 2002, we lost crime boss head Joseph Bonanno. A.K.A. Joey Bananas, who is 97. Wow. Wow. I I, uh, how do crime bosses get to 97? Uh, it's insane. Solitary confinement, I would guess. That is probably no. the scariest person with the silliest name. Yeah, Joey Bananas. Banano. Yep. And then in 2012, we lost Maurice Sendak, 83, mm. the author of Where the Wild Things Are. Please go watch any interview with him ever. He was the grumpiest old man. <laughs> it's so wonderful. He, he had an interview with Colbert where he's just such a jerk to him. It's so funny. Oh, we lost Vidal Sassoon, who's 84, the famous hairdresser. That if you don't look good, we I, don't look good. I thought that oh, was a I thing, was... not a guy. No, Vidal Sassoon is a guy. Wow. Oh, yeah. And I mean, had a whole line of 
products and, and uh carol shelby is 89 that uh matt damon played in ford v ferrari the mm. uh, race car driver and designer yeah and I just, shelby cobra i just want to say maurice sendak because i did he was yeah so many grumpy npr interviews but like speaking of weird films the where the wild things adaptation is so weird and he <laughs> lived long enough to approve the only film version that there is and it is so strange and good but like not very comforting to watch on a regular basis, no, uh, but that's but that's what he wanted. Though. That's how he wanted that. That was yeah. that had his well, pass. Yeah, he's a children's author that never believed in talking down. Yeah, and, and uh, was fantastic. With those deaths out of the way, we got to get to the barfs with the birthday. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Turned in six day. Six day. Weird things about this guy. None of them are going to help you, but they're fun. Born May 12, 1962, in Staten Island. In high school, he appeared in a short called Meet Mr. Bomb about it was anti nuclear power and just because wow. it was produced in his high school. Still in high school, co wrote and starred in a school play about Vietnam, and that just makes me think about Rushmore. Yes. Take him! <laughs> his previous experience in re Vietnam was he was in Apocalypse Now, but his scene got cut. As a teanager. Hmm. Paul Rubens. <laughs> Not Lawrence Fishburne. No. He's still, he Very got much there. All right. Movies of his we have talked about. Wisdom, Mission Impossible, The War at Home, Bobby. Um, Rated X, The Way. Emilio Estevez. It is Emilio Estevez. Boom! Also, Stakeout, Maximum Overdrive, Men at Work, Free Jack, and Young Guns and Young Guns 2. <laughs> yeah. He went with his dad to the Apocalypse Now set when he was 14? That should not be legal. I mean, we're, they're only supposed to be shooting for two weeks. I, why not? <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong in the set of Apocalypse Now? Uh. But, no, I mean, I, now I'm just imagining every scene of Apocalypse Now and little Emilio is just off to the side watching him get drunk and slice his hand open oh, and cry God. and run around naked. Like, Again, one of the best <laughs> movies ever, Hearts of Darkness. Get it, y'all. It's included in that newish Apocalypse Now 4K Blu-ray that has every version, a new cut of the film, the old cut, the redo, and Hearts of Darkness remastered, which is just yeah. astonishing. Oh, love it. Love it. I yep. love you oh. listeners. Happy birthday, Amelia. Happy birthday, Emilio. I Good hope... for him for, for keeping the, the actual legal family name. Yeah, he wasn't afraid of a foreign-sounding name, like his dad and brother. Sheens, come on. Just playing, but uh, thanks so much for listening. Patreon.com slash LaserTime is how you can support us. And we're going to go out with Galileo by the Indigo Girls. I forgot how much fun this video is. This is like one of their big hits, if you can say they have hits. It's like the girl version of Right Now by Van Halen, the video. I loved it. Yeah, you should check it out. Oh, crystal gravy. That's all I can think about. <laughs> so, thanks so much, guys. We will see you next week. How long till my soul gets it right?